Okay, so we're back again with part three of the interview because, let's face it, part two wasn't nearly enough, was it? <laughs> it was enough, but there's not enough, wasn't enough time to get through the remainder of our chronological order. Yeah, we only got about halfway through, mm -hmm. um, so hopefully we can get the other half done here. Uh, but in the in-between times, I gave you some homework. Yes, you showed me who, uh, I almost once said Billy Idol, but it's not, it's Billy Squire. Yes. And I found out that I actually did know him. Yeah, he had. Or some, rather, I knew the songs. Yes, yes, he had some very famous songs back in the yes. early '80s. So, yeah, Stroke it's, and and. Uh, it was just nice to know that. Okay, I'm not so out of it. Yeah. <laughs> but de definitely, uh, I should have probably known about it. But it was right on that cusp of when I was born and being a child. So. Yeah, it was part of the national consciousness back then. Mm-hmm. Very much so. That okay. So when we last left off with our esteemed Dungeon Master Michael, we were talking about the Dwarven pepper fields and why the food was so hot and their high constitutions, and we had a quick laugh at how badly some of the botched rolls led to just some fun little mannerisms with the, within the group for spicy food is concerned. But we're going to pick right back up there. We're still with the dwarves who are in... Pheromons? Pheromons. All our listeners for? know I have a horrible time remembering the layout of our world. So I actually have a notebook, but even then it's still have problems, but in Pheromons and we're touching back there this time though, with the death of yet another Baron. Um, for those that remember, we were involved, the players and I were involved with a coup in another barony, which, you know, thankfully we kind of hush hush that about. And we've been involved with several Barons for different reasons, but this was the first time where we were ended up being on the right side of what would eventually possibly become a coup. Although, you weren't real sure to begin with. No, we we had learned our lesson about being very cautious. And, and, and uh, once again, uh, uh, by design. By design. And uh, before we jump too far into it, was when you created the Death to the Baron, this was specifically, I assume, to hop on those jittery nerves of, oh, God, here we go again? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was just a delicious... Um, putting you guys in the squeeze of, okay, well, you know, you just had a coup attempt that turned out to be one jarn facade. Um, so let's actually see what happens if we put an actual uh, legitimate coup attempt in front of you. And yeah, it was kind of fun watching everybody squirming as they're yeah. trying to figure out exactly like, wait a minute, we just did this. It didn't work out very good. I'm not sure I want to do this. Yeah, and um, at this point, it's important to notice or to know that at this point, um, character-wise, Adri's still very much quiet, staying in the background. We're encouraging who it, now Alistair. No, this would be Cotter now because you've already Cotter. been to Port of Magnum. Okay, so Cotter starts. Yeah, so, so Alistair is gone and Cotter's back. So we're trying to encourage him to start stepping forward. Um, on my side of things, I've just become Creval again, so now I'm really trying to balance that out. No one is still no one. He's still very much aggressive. Um, so when we come into yet another familiar field of, oh, here we go again, we're not real keen to help this person asking for our aid, which is a cousin to the Baron, very familiar with the situation of last time. However, this time, after some consideration and being careful role-playing, there was indeed a big difference. This Baron was being manipulated and controlled by a succubus. Actually, it was a succubus in Or disguise. was the succubus, yes. yes. Which we can only assume that he was manipulated at some point. Um, well, you found his body eventually, so you realize that the succubus probably had done him in. I think and we found him in a bag of holding. Yes, exactly. Later. I don't remember how. Maybe you can refresh my memory. How did we get that succubus to reveal that she was not the original Baron? Uh, well, when you got into combat with her, all of a sudden she uh, charmed 
Arlen. And, mm, poor Arlen. and actually, th- it was one of the more hilarious uh, moments in, in the entire game where, um, you know, the, the Baron, this, this uh, you know, lanky, um, actually really squat, uh, uh, heavily bearded dwarf uh, charms Arlen and has him come over and give him a kiss. Yeah. And you could just you could see Owen's face. He's like, yeah, the disgust. The disgust was real at that moment. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, you know the the kiss turns from hot and wet to cold and icy, and you know all sorts of hit points drain out of him. And he looks up, and it's not a dwarf that's kissing him, but a succubus. And uh, you know, so you know, behold my true form. So an interesting combat would ensue. Eventually, the party does succeed. Mm-hmm. But the succubus does get away. Yeah. Interesting thing, though, um, this would come around and bite uh, no one in the back. Yes. Uh, literally. Um, so when you all went in and, you know, the Nola had uh, convinced you to depose the Baron and, you know, find the truth of the matter. And everybody else but no one was using non-lethal damage. They kind of realized it's like, okay, the guards are just the guards. They're just doing their job. This is what they're supposed to do. They've been enchanted on top of that. Uh, well, uh, they didn't even need to be. I mean, because they, you know, their job was to protect the Baron. And, you know, I'm sure he'd been doing some strange things, but he hadn't done anything to the, the guardsmen themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they were just doing their job. And you guys kind of all realized that. And you were using non-lethal damage to, uh, to you know, basically knock them out. Except Noan, who was out there just basically punching people to death. And at the time, I'm like, you know, the, you know, actions have consequences. This has got to come yeah. around and get him eventually. Well, I think it's important to note, sorry, let me speak into the mm-hmm. mic. I think it's important to note that Matthew's character up until this point was very much always, once, he was always going back and forth on, on the, uh, what we can call the alignment scale. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, listeners, is that there was a lot of times that Matthew would say, you know what, he would say a number, he'd reach down and grab his two percentile dice and he would roll them. Now, I don't know exactly what was success and failure to, you know, was it under 25% or over or whatever, but that's how he would make some decisions. At this point, he was doing that. And in this case, I think he rolled and whatever he rolled told him, okay, I'm going to be no one, the devil person. I mean, he really went the more evil side of things. No, no mercy, no... Mm-hmm. No quarter, just charged right in. And you're right; it did come back later. Um, I don't know if that's on here. That is, it's. But you, yeah, you, you have to come all the way back here again. Yeah. Um, which we'll touch on again on, on yeah. the consequences. Which, but again, it is a very good example of two things. One, when you have a character on, a, or I'm sorry, when you have a player at a table that plays a character that does something like this, it's not wrong. He's Matthew was not wrong playing his character this way. It was Matthew's decision to play this character's way, but it is still, as I'm, as Michael, I think, is about to agree with me, it's still your world, Dungeon Master. Yeah, well, and also it's your job as the Dungeon Master to be saying, okay, you know, what are the natural consequences from my actions? You know, what is the natural consequences of me freeing the damsel in distress? Okay, well, everybody's mm-hmm. happy. Or maybe... But even it, then, yeah. there's still consequences. Yeah. Or, or maybe you're now on like the evil prince's blacklist because you freed the the damsel in distress. Um, same thing on the other side. It's like okay, if, if the group goes to- total murder hobo, you, you, it's not just you know ticking off things on a sheet in a in a module. I mean, there's real world consequences. So if they just kind of go through and start wading through the guards in town, well, pretty soon they're going to be 
the, you know, the yeah. most wanted folks. And, and if they get anywhere within 100 miles of the town, people are going to be, you know, trying to get them to get the, the reward or what have you. Right. And even further than that, if you really want to get rich with it, then, you know, crime is going to go up. This maybe there's a, now a criminal a mafia element that's now going to try to push to take over said city because you've destroyed so many guards. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's uh, and that's one of the great things about a role playing game as opposed to like a computer game or something where, you know, you affect the the outcome of the world, even if it's a small thing, you know, mm-hmm. even, you know, if, even if you just gave a gold piece to a peasant who is trying to feed her children and then, you know, that, you know, you come around again to that town again and. Now the peasant actually owns like a little apple cart, yeah. And uh, you, you're able to help her one one step up the uh, the socioeconomic ladder. Exactly. And it, it man it seems like such a small thing, but depending on how you play the rest of your game, that apple cart vendor. By the time you're done with your campaign, which can stretch years at times, mm-hmm. you come back and now because you were so good at the apple cart vendor, now they're the supply for their town, and mm-hmm. they always cut you a you know they cut you break on prices, and they also they they go out of their way to help you obtain an item that you might need. Or it, maybe they have all sorts of connections yeah. with all the farmers, and they've heard about the you know the the uh, strange goings on that point you in the right direction mm-hmm. for that MacGuffin. There's always yeah always a, there's always a way to turn every inconsequential action by your players into a benefit mm-hmm. as well as a draw, yeah. which you've done very well with this world. There's there's always there's never been a thing where it's like oh this isn't going to come back and bite us. Actually, it's the other way around. We always say, well no this is going to come back and bite us. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we expel the getting back on target mm-hmm. we expel the succubus she stay gets away mm-hmm. yeah stay on target <laughs> reference and, um, and, and that's one of the fun things you can do with uh, succubus is because they have the ability to go ethereal it's like unless you're able to do massive damage to them yeah they can get away pretty easily mm-hmm. and they're very infuriating foes that way and it, 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 this is also a good note to note that if you're a first-time dungeon master or even if you're an experienced dungeon master do not overlook or do not take for granted some of the simplest skills these monsters have. Etherealness, when you really look back and read at it, because I did, it's almost, almost impossible to stop a monster that's ethereal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a great way of creating, and as you did, because I know I personally have asked several times about it, of keeping a creature around that, if you choose to, comes back to be a constant uh, storyline villain mm-hmm. and you've had that with ally. like snoot the black dragon yes. and a few other things in this in fact i, I don't I, everything that we've conquered quotation mm-hmm. marks i still i have a half of thought of okay is this going to come back in an undead form down the road because of what we're dealing in the larger picture of yeah. things so the baron is deposed or not deposed the false baron is usurped we find the body of the current firm they go to do a funeral I do not remember if we role played the coming of the new Baron at that point. Well, if you remember, what you had I to don't, do that's what I'm asking the is, dungeon master. <laughs> um, you had to go and do a huge skills check to go yes. and help do mining and you know, mm-hmm. battling trolls and yep. all that stuff. And it wasn't just trolls; it yeah. was a special kind of troll at that point, I think. Yeah, um, actually, no, this was just straight Were up trolls straight at this up? point okay. in time. You, not until you go to the Underdark do you meet the the mega trolls. Um, but uh, that one was a fun one because. I had basically said, okay, you could miss two checks during the skill check and Nola would still become the new Baron. Mm-hmm. And when we got done with the skill check, you had made everything except two skills checks. Yeah. So you, you ended up, it's like, okay, you, you met you met the challenge and Nola is now the new Baron. It was, it was kind of fun that it worked and out exactly the way uh, we had it, written it. It's really interesting, and I'm going to throw out a couple names here. It's really interesting that... So skill checks for people who are wondering what a skill check is, because not everybody does them still. 
um, on your character sheet on your left, you know your skills, um, and you know that your proficiency bonus applies to certain skills. A skills challenge, and forgive me if this seems obvious, is going off that list of skills to give your players a different role-playing challenge for your story. Yeah. Michael, who got, I believe, got the idea from Rodrigo, who well, was doing critical hit. hit yeah. Yeah. Um, and skills challenges are a thing that was uh, brought up in 4th edition. And okay. a lot of people uh, agree. Well, I mean... The way it was written up in, in the in the actual 4th edition rules was kind of a mess, but the community out there itself figured out how to use the skills challenges. And a lot of people uh, regard skills challenges as one of the better things that came out of 4th edition. Yeah, it might have been yeah. the best thing in some ways, because yeah. but also at the same time, 4th edition made cre- character creation and advancement a headache. Oh, and combat. Like, I remember you told you. me that the further you get, the more you're required to learn how to use a spreadsheet to keep track oh, yeah, of everything. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy i mean it, yeah people would spreadsheet their uh, character sheets because every every number was kind of dependent on the other numbers mm-hmm. so it was so easy to go and then through there were and, floating numbers yeah all that the time. you know you would like change something and you wouldn't catch that oh this thing over here and these two things down here were supposed to change because of that um so yeah it was it was it was a headache in that regard, but at the same time, we still had a lot of fun, lot of fun yeah. playing Fourth Edition. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. To, I don't know if I'd have much fun playing it, but I did have a lot of fun listening to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, so yeah, the the idea of the skills challenge is instead of just doing a single check, it's like okay, give me an intimidate check or give me a investigation check, uh, and having just that simple roll of the dice mm-hmm. um, be a defining factor whether or not you you win or lose, you find or you don't find. Um, with the skills challenge, you basically set up um, a number of victories versus a number of defeats, you know, a number of passes versus fails. And if you get the amount of passes before you get fails, then you meet the skills challenge. So it, and it allows you to do two different things. One, you can um, make it so like the whole party in, is involved. Two, you can actually draw out the experience. So it's not just a single throw of the dice. You have to succeed multiple times. And, and let's fail it, face it, for a lot of uh, bigger challenges, it's not just, you know, one guy talks to one guy. I mean, it's like, think mm-hmm. of the good cop, bad cop in the interrogation room. It's not that one of the guys rolled well on his intimidation or his persuasion check, but it's the two of them back and forth. Yeah. And so, you know, combining... Carrot, yeah, stick, yeah. et cetera. Uh, you know, mul- multiple things wearing down the, the perp. Um, but uh, the... Uh, you know, for skills challenges, you have to have a pass and a fail. There has to be a, a penalty if you fail, and it, there has to be um, a, uh, you know, reward if you pass. And, it, and the reward might just be you got through it and you're on to the other side. The fail might be something bad happens on the way. Or, um, for instance, when you guys try to get yourself out of Waterfall City, the the, the fail uh, consequence was that you're now recognized by the guards mm-hmm. and are persona non grata getting back in the city so there's actually a storyline thing behind it but the other fun thing is you can also use um the uh, skills challenges um to basically be part of a narrative thing instead of just a single you know throw of the die you can say okay each of times you succeed or fail something happens on the way to the eventual end here where you're trying to get you know you're trying to get row a boat across a lake or you're trying to you know, w- work your way through a party full of, uh, you know, fancy guests and things like that. Another way to also explain it to your players is it combat is always like everyone knows combat. Skills, skill challenges is combat, but just in a different format. You're still rolling dice. You're still using your weapons, which are your proficient skills. And you can even use a non-weapon you're, you're not proficient with. You just have to, you're just taking a greater risk. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you fail a skills challenge, like, cause Lord knows we failed plenty of them. Yep. Does not mean that's it for your party. It just means now something different occurs. Less hit points is a good, easy mm-hmm. way of doing that. A loss of resources. You, your bags are missing. The only problem with this is, and again, I would always ask this caution, uh, caution with your players is player ego. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the right egos at the table, the minute you say, well, you lost your backpack. Well, that backpack had all our magical weapons in it. Yeah. That is the, that is the cost of failing this challenge, especially, especially if they say, well, we had no chance of winning it. Well, no, because it was the dexterous rogue that failed the dexterous check yes. and he saved himself, but the strap broke on the bag and the bag plummeted mm-hmm. to the bottom. Or like we kind of saw with the kittens where the skills challenge was failed in the end and the two players that rolled the last two fails, I ruled, were you know captured by the mm-hmm. guards and imprisoned. And, and Galchabar had to step in. Yeah, and so we actually had to do a prison break episode. Yeah. Um, so, so it could lead to the next thing. Yeah. Well, the other fun thing about skills challenges is that a lot of times in combat-heavy uh, campaigns – the social skills, the ones outside of just, you know, acrobatics, athletics, and and your combat skills and things like that get really short shrift. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have a player that wants to play like a face man type uh, yeah. character, you know, um, or, you know, something or maybe an artificer or something that's more sleight of hand character, they can get kind of left beside the wayside unless you actually put stuff in there for them. So this gives you a chance to uh focus on those other skills or in the case of this party to uh, make things um, very comedic because of lack of those skills. Mm-hmm. And also keeping the players in, a, in that, helping them stay in that mindset of, Oh my God, this is a laugh. It should not be, Oh my God, my dungeon master is picking on me. I hate this game. Why am I mm-hmm. doing this? You know what? I'm out of here. Cause that's obviously that's when you fail with that, everything at that point, or you mm-hmm. just have that player. Um, Obviously, the suggestion from both myself and Dungeon Master Michael is never do anything you're not comfortable with, but at the same time, take a risk as a Dungeon Master because that's what will enrich your game. Yep. So, getting back on the story, we uh, Nola does, as we all know, become Baroness um, with our successes. We are given a couple items, including one for no one who still has yet to suffer consequences for his actions, which would come back. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll readdress that. We end up going to the gnomes. Which was um, yes, above well, Fairmont. Yeah, just in the in the uh, yeah you know, the veil up behind the main peak of Fairmont. Yeah. That was for me. That was really funny because it was the most antithesis thing for for uh, playing a dragonborn as a tribal minded person like the Native Americans. When I, mm-hmm. For everyone else, they loved it. I I kept my mouth shut because I, I felt so uncomfortable in it. And to give it to, for me, what I saw in my mind, no matter how hard you tried to explain it, was the Maxwell Smart character from Get Smart mm-hmm. as an inventor and everything just blowing up in his face constantly. But everyone's like, "Yeah, hey, let's play with this. Let's push that button." And I'm like, I'm staying in the back. <laughs> I'm just not getting involved with this. Yeah, and, and as I put my dungeon master's notes, I basically stole the Tinker Gnome's whole cloth from Dragonlance. I kind of guessed. Yeah, and uh, they were just—I mean, we hadn't seen them since the '70s, mm-hmm. and they're just too precious not to keep around. Yeah. And um, and granted, yeah, the folks that, that made World of Warcraft basically also stole them whole cloth from mm-hmm. from Dragonlance and created the the Tinker Gnomes and in. in uh, in the World of Warcraft universe, but uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. It's like you know, people that uh, basically are, are eccentric inventors, but a lot of the stuff they do kind of goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a lot of fun moments. There was the we saw a freezer which belched flames at first, and we saw 
Lord knows what else. Um, I don't think we, at that, this time, I think all of us were just nodding along. Yeah. They had, like they had an the elevator that looks. you had to strap yourself down to because it was yeah. so violent. It would yeah. throw you against the ceiling or smash you into the and floor if you weren't strapped each, down. Each product always showed great problems. <laughs> but what did the end up happening was, very bright. was the magical components you put into your game, these magical crystals. I forget what you mm-hmm. called them. Yeah. They're what fueled these items. The arcane crystals, yeah. The arcane crystals, which only existed in the mine here in Faramons, I believe. Yeah, and so that one was, I was trying to figure out, I was like, hey, what makes the dwarven war machines work? Because, I mean, you could make it, uh, you know, steampunky and have them, like, be steam engines and things like that. But um, I started thinking, it's like, okay, in a magical world, there's probably something that you can work around that you don't need to come up with, like, steam technology or something like that. And so I hit hit upon the idea of the arcane crystals and and went from there. What I liked about it is because um, I've done some traveling across our great nation and... and, um, there are some places you can go where you can actually dig for crystals mm-hmm. in, an, in a mm-hmm. national park. So crystals are a naturally forming organic thing. You wouldn't think of it because technically it's a rock, but it is a naturally growing just like a carrot. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So it makes sense that, well, why wouldn't you? In the, in the old world, this may not have been as rare, just but in this new world it is, but it still exists here in this mountain. So yeah, they can mine all day long, but given enough time because of the density or whatever you want to explain it as, they grow back. So they have a reoccurring fuel source. Mm-hmm. They just have to be careful how it happens with it. But in this case, we find out, oh my gosh, someone stole all of them. Yeah. So yeah, if you ever had one of those crystal growing kits you get for your kids. Exactly. Where, yeah, you I've had su- a couple. <laughs> put a super saturated solution in, yeah. in a seed crystal and... You know, a couple of weeks later, you've got this beautiful flower of crystals there. Same well, sort of thing, yeah. Small ones, but yes. yeah, the, the 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 arcane energies combined with just the natural crystal mm-hmm. formation in the caves, and yeah, they have a harvestable um, crystal power source there. But yeah, they're, they're fairly rare still, and and they were all gone in one night. Right. So we did some investigation. We were able to track them down. There was this crazed gnome. Yep, the head tinker. The head tinker, which was very interesting here because it, we, it the the episode is called Wrath of the Old Gods, which is in, a very indicative of one thing which i just now realized in our campaign we haven't run into a lot of warlocks this was our only warlock to my knowledge because i don't know all your characters that is obviously a warlock of the old gods yeah and so part of this was you know once again there's old and new world and but it's an even older world Mm -hmm. you know forgotten you know sort of almost in like the the cthulhu mythos where Mm -hmm. there's the 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 old gods that were around before the uh world was as it is now and occasionally they peek their little heads out and, and cause all sorts of bad things mm-hmm. to happen and in this case yeah the uh, head tinker had allied himself with one of the old gods and and in, in the part of it was you know i was just looking for a reason like why would we have gibbering or excuse me gibbering mouthers and things like that these aberrations and it's like oh hey there's some chaotic entity kind of like a, a la the cthulhu mythos that is you know just has a little crack in reality here and then these he things are starting to squeeze these, in right which in well we'll get to that so we find we you basically add another easter egg which is basically voltron mm-hmm. and we completely botched that it was while we were all excited we were all excited to jump in the vehicles and use these because hey why not we all grew up with voltron especially matthew and i mm-hmm. but the thing is none of us took the chance never thought to ask the person who made these hey is there a certain skill set that is required per vehicle to make it make them the epitome? And because and, we didn't ask yeah. that question, consequence was everybody that had a specific talent got in the wrong vehicle. Yes, yeah, the people with the dex talent got in the strength vehicles and vice versa. It was hilarious. Yeah, and and so the combat ensued. Um, I felt during the combat that even as great as these items were, they were not putting out nearly as much power as your creature was attacking us with. 
which made it even again it went from being a uh, we'll call it a 50 50 medium challenge to in my opinion was almost a deadly a, a deadly encounter that does not mean as a dungeon master to your player trying to kill your players you're just trying to put across and please correct me if i'm wrong you're trying to put across that even though you're powerful you're not all powerful exactly yeah if, unless there is a air of danger unless there's the uh, possibility of defeat um there's no adventure to it you know i mean mm-hmm. you're just going through a, a prescribed set of motions to eventually end up at the victory point so yeah there always has to be the uh, the possibility that you know you and your uh, party could end up facing a foe much bigger than you that uh, could take you out um i think uh, it occurred to me now and i mentioned want to talk in several times but this is a quick mention when we first started this world and we were talking about character creations and all that we you know we we all really admit there were questions that should have been asked that weren't simple ones Here's one that's actually very important that I would encourage our listeners and future dungeon masters to talk with their players about. It's called, it's affectionately known as called meat grinder mode. Meat grinder mode just basically means this. Death is almost a certainty and it's very hard, even if you succeed (laughs) with a cleric, to bring back somebody from the dead. So basically you're telling your players, yeah, by all means, get attached to your characters, but get attached to the idea that you're going to replace that character. This campaign is not what I would call a meat grinder. Dangerous, yes. Entertaining, absolutely. But not necessarily a meat grinder. Would you yeah. Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, And And it, it wasn't meant to be. And, and yeah, there are ones where, yeah, I mean, basically someone dies and, and they need to go grab 46 and start all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually the epitome of that was uh, the uh, the Chult campaign there where they, you know, the, uh, mm. where they had uh, the... Uh, Tome of Annihilation. Yeah, Tome of Annihilation and where they had the... Uh, curse that you couldn't be revived from the dead. So if 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 you if you lost your character, you lost your character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, and that, yeah. that that only got. And on top of that, if you were a re- like if somebody decided, hey, I'm going to play a uh, revenant type character, you're like, okay, because mm-hmm. people like that had been rezzed or brought back in that style were rotting. Mm-hmm. They were yeah. degrading. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so uh, I mean, you can play it in hard mode, or yeah, you can play it in more. Um, you know, high magic mode where, yeah, you, I mean, it's possible with the expenditure of a lot of resources to uh, go and uh, to bring people back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And actually we had a couple of conversations around the table about, you know, part of the thing is saying if they are willing. So, I mean, you, you know, the party could go try to res somebody only to find out that, no, they're not willing to come back. You know, they were yeah. very, very happy being in Nirvana or the happy hunting grounds. And they, you know, the last thing they want to do is come back to this horrible place that, uh, we call the prime material plane. Exactly. So, um, yay us, we defeat them. We give back the devices. We have a bunch of scathing criticism, <laughs> which is, should be directed our way. Um, it was one of the times I almost lost Creval. Um, you had you had some very interesting um, layer mechanics. That's the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. Um, and again, again, dungeon masters don't look over. Don't just because your characters are not level twenty does not mean you can't throw a layer mechanic. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember the layer mechanic, but I do. One of them was like spikes coming up and cl- like um, ooh, warlock spell where the clubbing shadow tendrils. Yes, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, they, Hadar, arms of Hadar mm-hmm. was was was, re- was recommended that I think the ground would even ripple and throw you to the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think there were some sort of shadow spikes that came up as well. Oh well, it would shoot his tentacles into the ground, knock you down, and then they would come shooting up. Yeah, and, yeah. They, um, that was one time I got closest to losing Creval. Um, so we, but we didn't, and then we learned. So we we went from there. I do not remember. I, I think we ended up going back toward Arlen's home or the mountains. Yeah. So you had you um you had to uh go back to the mountains because you were called right. back there because there were problems, and that's when you ran into the spore druids. Right. And so at this point, listeners, it's important to note that this is when Xanthar 
came out mm-hmm. with four druids yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, if you remember, we mentioned in the previous uh, release of a, a second recording that Spore Druids happened to fall in line with the story. It was a great boon for our dungeon master. Obviously, that doesn't always occur, but what a great yeah. coincidence! So we no, none of us had ever heard of Spore Druids before, um, to the point where I don't think anyone's actually even played a Spore Druid in all the times we've done offshoots. Yeah, not our group now. Yeah, but so you read about them, and you're like, "This is perfect." So we fight these druids, and everyone's kind of looking around like, I thought druids were good people. Again, great dungeon master tool. Just because something is considered, quotation marks, good, does not mean you have to run it as, quotation marks, good. Or even more importantly, not necessarily on your side. Yes. You know, I mean, they, they may be going for what they consider to be the greater good. They may yeah. not be aligned with your uh, your end goals at all. Exactly. You know? Um a lesson that I've learned from this story in my own creation and other creations is just because somebody says, I mean, and here's a good example of it. Everyone always says lawful good is the, is horrible. It's like a, a policeman's at your table. You can't do anything. I've learned through this and watching how you've played your villains um, that, and, and of course other stories as well, but that lawful good does not necessarily mean that the person you're interacting with, whether it's an NPC or a player, is a good person because how they view lawful good is entirely related to the person that's playing the role. Mm -hmm. Case in point, Cotter plays a lawful, what I think is a lawful good character. Mm -hmm. You can tell. His lawful good to one of your characters might be lawful evil because it's just diametrically opposed to what you believe. So that can create some interesting byplay for the player versus the dungeon master. That's what I think the sport druids are. If you're on the other side of the coin, you think you're completely in the right. Yeah. yeah well, in, in this case, you know, they saw, you know, they, their realm is the, the world of the fungus, the world of the spores. And they found a way to, you know, bring that to the fore, not just be this little piecemeal part of nature. It's like now this can be all of nature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it probably wasn't the um, most enlightened choice on their part. But at the same time, you know, they basically... It's like, oh, this this furthers our goals, mm-hmm. and and you know, as they say, like politics made for makes for odd bedfellows and yes. this sort of thing. It's like, okay, maybe maybe they really don't like a little all that much, but this is a way for them to move their agenda forward. Yeah, so we inter- we interact with them, defend ourselves, but because we are who we are, it doesn't occur to us in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion, of any sort of connection between this and the darker, greater evil yet which will come back again to bite us in the back. Mm. But more importantly, we go back to the mountains with Creval. Why is that more important at that point? Because Creval has just gotten his memory back. More importantly, Michael and Drew are now having to flesh out a portion of his world that we have just 10% at this point, 15% begun to touch upon. So this is very significant for everybody at the table. Um, when you came up with the, well, I say when you came up, when I dropped the Dragonborn into the story mm-hmm. and we came, you came up with these ideas, how much time did you think you would have to take? Because in my opinion, I think we've taken almost a third of our world building. Like we spent more time building out the world of the Dragonborn than I think we did the Underdark. Well, the, the nice thing was it, it just kind of happened organically. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, the Underdark, um, we were going to hit once and... Never want to go back unless there was... Which a, is exactly how I feel about it, yeah. Yeah, a story element that requires you to go there. But the Dragonborn, we could see that this was going to be something that was going to happen over and over again. Yeah. So, yeah, we spent more time uh, addressing that one. Yeah. So, we go back there. I think 
is that where I deal with Samash and the red dragonborns again? Yeah. Or, yeah. That was a very interesting because that was, again, a great dungeon master story play for the player or any player where actions and consequences, but it's not always my or Matthew or another player's action. In this case, it was the action of the NPCs having a further consequence, bringing your player back around to deal with that consequence. Hey, you mean to do anything wrong, but there's still more going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Does the this... world continues to go on even if you're exactly. not present. So my question to you, <laughs> well, I really hope that this isn't going down a deep well. You have your main storyline as all Dungeon Masters do. And of course you want your world to be rich. So how do you personally keep track of your lateral timelines? I.e., okay, the party's off at the walls next to Black Tree, but in the meanwhile, in the world of the dwarves, in the world of the dragonborn, in the world of the tabaxi, things are occurring. Is that something you you think about just off, away from this recording? Or yeah, is- a, a lot of times it's just, you know, you've got this thing in the back of your mind going, hey, you know, this thing was kind of left undone or unfinished or something like, you know, for instance, okay, the, your Carval's sister is, is now the head of the dragonborn. That doesn't mean that everything's hunky dory, no. and you know you, you've you've saved all of all of Dragonborn uh, life and everything is happy now. Um, it's you know not not a mo- not a not a Disney movie basically, mm-hmm. and so yeah, you're thinking it's like okay now what's what's going to be the fallout of what just happened, and you know so in the back of your mind you're like you know the you know the the decision I made there on what the fallout was going to be that's probably happening as we speak here, and it's going to start poking its head up. Yeah. And um, ironically, and down the road, well, we'll touch on that later. If we get, get to, but down the road, again, I think the important lesson we keep coming back to here for your dungeon master and your players is consequent actions, reactions, and consequences to those. Mm-hmm. They continually build. It does not mean you have to keep planning it out to the point where you feel overloaded avalanche while, but it just, just means, hey, everything should have a possibility for another oh darn moment. Yeah. Or so, oh yes moment. Yes. So we get that taken care of. It really isn't a, that big a deal. Um, there was a great moment there for me where I made a wiser of two decisions, and so far we'll see how that goes. Um, I didn't kill Samash when I could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so far it seems to have been a pivotally good decision. Which, you know. which didn't come out till a little bit later, yeah. which again, I think we'll touch on. Um, but we've met, our, but on the way back down the mountains along the plains we ran into an old friend yes snoot the dragon came back before that though you got a chance to go visit uh uh, arlen and his family and see his favorite cow oh is that when that occurred yeah you know because you're coming down that player and god bless owen owen is yeah he doesn't do it on purpose you know he doesn't but he brings such richness to the table just by a sweet and innocent comment of like well of course he has a favorite cow (laughs) yeah of course he has a favorite cow yeah yeah Yeah, of course he has a favorite cow or he drank the rose colored soup so yeah yeah, and and it was a very very for me like 1920s nuclear family wholesome moment you know these are just simple folk they just Mm -hmm. wanted to they just want to raise their family they're not looking to be adventurers he they you know you got the sensation that they're just trying to raise their children and just leave live their lives yeah and, and you think about it for most folks back that's true in the medieval times or even even now i mean that's basically what they want to do you know they 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 you know they get up in the morning and they they want to basically make it a good day and have a string of good days to make a good year and you want a string of good years to make a good life mm-hmm. um you know yeah maybe some of them have higher aspirations but basically i mean everybody just wants that and they, you know they want to get up they want to make sure their kids are happy and grow up to be good people and and then you know play with the grandkids and mm-hmm. you know yeah live live a, live a full life so it was a good moment it was by far the most 
family-oriented moment of any of our characters. Because I don't think any of our characters have what you would consider that normal. And I say normal like, that's probably the wrong word. Un Unexemplary. Yeah, salt of the earth. Family, yes, yeah. really. Maybe it wasn't the backstabbing way of the dark elves that Audrey has to deal with. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the stuffy, tribal, uh, yeah, folks of Cotter's uh, it was, world. Yeah, in some ways, I think it was probably the most relatable because somebody knows a family that is like that. Yeah. I, I know a couple families. They're just they, mm-hmm. they're not interested in being millionaires. They're not interested in in going to mm-hmm. universities or whatnot. They just believe in putting out a good product, living a good life, mm-hmm. and at the end of their days, they go to bed with a smile. Yep. So it was a great moment. Um, then again, then we meet Snoot. Then Snoot comes back. Yes. And if you don't, I don't remember why we call him Snoot. Is because in the very first time, the way the dragon escaped was after Adri had led a successful um, unarmed attack, and the, I think it might have been a critical, but the byplay of it was that he she she broke the snout of the black dragon. Yes, and like, blood, blood notab- ran out of his snout right, and he collapsed. Notably. So and now, so when he came back, now we have an adult dragon or a young adult dragon. But the, for whatever reason, the nose isn't repaired; it's still yes. cracked. Well, yeah, and busted. you know, in in nature, if you break a limb, you know, you don't have a veterinarian to set it. So True. it either sets itself fine, or hopefully the predators get you before you have to suffer too much. But this is a black dragon that obviously yeah. no predator took. Mm-hmm. So we fight again, and this one was fun because not all combats have to end in death right i mean this one was designed from the very beginning that he would exit the scene at a certain low amount of hit points cursing you as he left Mm -hmm. and fly away so this one was going to go till he but is this the one where adri becomes a puddle nope nope that's that's when he comes around for the third time so that that, so the uh get out jail free card was not cashed in yes okay so we fend him off like wow okay oh wait wait no wait sorry let me think about it because the third ones were no, this is the one where yeah. that happened. Yeah, because um, this is where technically is, the black is, dragon got its revenge. We yeah. thought because Adrian turned into an acidic puddle. Craval mm-hmm. was uh, set to do the whole cleric resurrection thing, but we all were told to leave the room. Mm-hmm. And you had a one-on-one with Adrian, which we later would find uh, out one-on-one that. with our, with uh, uh, Bryce. Oh, Bryce. I'm sorry. Yes. Which we would, uh, which is a great role play moment for him. Bryce does the paladin 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 thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, tongue twister there, folks. Um, and Adri is restored via divine touch. Intervention, yes. Yeah. Um, she gets full hit points, fight off the dragon, dragon flies away. We find out that we had, at this point, freely admitted, the whole entire table forgot we had to get out of jail free card. Yeah. Nobody remembered it. And, at and, all. A- and actually, yeah, so this is not the one, the previous one's the one where um, Snoot got, uh, got away when mm-hmm. you're de- headed down this way again. And so this time, once again, you're headed down towards uh, the, the coast and. Snoot jumps you, and uh, you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, you actually do take him out completely. Yeah. Was he the full size at that point? This, so he was an adult at this point. Right. Time. But and he wasn't it, like a. He wasn't like a full on. Yeah, so worm you, at this point. So you, you met him as a wormling, and then again, he ran, you ran into I thought, him I as, thought this as point a young adult. The, yeah. Which you know he was basically as wormling was just on the edge of young okay. adult. But this time you met him as a full adult, and you're like, wait. Yeah, that should have been centuries. That should, yeah, that should take a while. So that that was, you know, some something is going on, which is kind of fun. So we drop him. Uh, we go down the coast. We have a very good role play moment where we try to sort of, sort of fix some of the mistakes of the past. And this says in this session to in order to gain access to get across the sea with the only boat we know of, which was this fisherman who we had this family we had destroyed by. Mm-hmm action of our own under the guise with Adrian that hey this is the bad thing we got to free this person's enslaved long story short with good roles we end up getting the women to somehow the woman to come back um, I think it's because Craval had contacts we sent a message or something 
with some roles and some good diplomacy, we end up getting them remarried. Um, Kraval threatens <laughs> <laughs> the, the husband of, if you lie about this, I will be back and it will not be pleasant. But the family is reunited under some new, clearer boundaries. And we end up going across the sea. It is very important to notice that the sea here be, that in the story is not a calm ocean. There is a very high, and I do remember this, a very high wind. There's very high choppy seas. And there is a current that requires anybody trying to use a boat to be a sailor and know these currents. That was very important to to point out because while we did this, we also had to deal with combat. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, oh, we're going to sail across an hour later, we're going to be there. No, in game time, it took the better part of a day to sail upwind across current. And you basically are flying, you're, you're going out, but being pushed down. Yeah. So you're basically causing a huge arc. Yeah. Yeah, um, you, you noticed the sailor was taking you, the fisherman, well south of where you're supposed to go because yeah. he knew the current would carry you back north because he'd been doing that all his life yeah. out there. So, again, a great creation of an NPC that is vital because they were like, well, I'll just kill the guy and take his boat. You can't sell the boat. You don't yeah. know the waters. Yeah, so uh, if, if if you had gone through, yeah, you would, would have been much more difficult to get to the island. May, may, and borderline, again, lethal ocean means lethal. Mm-hmm. For characters that don't have that background, in which none of us do, I think most of us are soldiers or hermits or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have swept up the coast, and who yeah. knows what would happen. Or even out to sea. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. But we meet uh, an NPC that, while not annoying, is the most immediately disliked character for myself and Adri, and it's the great white hunter, Sam Neill. And oh, no, no, no. He was annoying. <laughs> oh, he was annoying, but... He was designed to be annoying. He was, but I don't think he. I don't think anybody was more annoyed by him than than Jesse and I. Oh yeah, you, you, you um, took an immediate nod shine to him. That yeah, was great. Jesse. I won't. I can't speak too much for it because obviously Jesse thoughts her own. But I think Jesse just as a person dislikes the type mm-hmm. of person this NPC was, and for Kraval it was a role play thing. But they both worked well off each other, and I think I think later after the recording, I even told us I think that might be the first person that we all agreed on, or you and I agreed on, just to need if we could kill him, we would. Yes. But it was a good, fun moment. It was a great uh, Easter egg because it was pointed at the actor Sam Neill, who played the Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And that was should have been the biggest indication that we were going to bring in something you don't normally see: dinosaurs. Yes. So, why Jurassic Park? Um, so uh, X One, the expert set module, um, introduced dinosaurs to the AD and D world or basic D and D world back in the day. And it's just—it's always been just a fun, exciting trip. Whether it's Land of the Lost, the show from the '70s, mm-hmm. or you know, one of the, what's what um, LeBray, the most recent one that's been on like Netflix or Amazon mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, just the whole idea that there's this lost continent, island, you know, cavern, whatever, and the dinosaurs are still there. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was kind of, and then you know, of course, you know, there's dinosaurs in the in the monster manual. Why wouldn't you put them in there somewhere? But the question yeah. is where? I mean, can yeah. you just have them driving around? It's like, no, you, well, you, you could. Really want, you really want uh, some like Land of the Lost type thing where you, you they're, they're alive, but on this one reservation yeah. over here. But but again, with, these, with Wizard of the Coast and many kudos to their creative teams, um, you could build your whole world around it. Yeah. Who says that has to be medieval? Why can't you be in primitive yeah. times where magic is real? And, 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 and once again, with the, the continental chult where yeah. dinosaurs are regular and you can do dinosaur races yeah. and all that stuff. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, I, it was a, when I ran that, it was very hard for me, the dungeon master, because I'd never had any of those mechanics in any game I ever played. And mm-hmm. so having to learn them was very fun. It also brings up a good point that even though your character's a high level, when you have a creature like a dinosaur that one, one bite does 4d12 damage, 
well, yeah, okay, hey, here's a herd of them. Yes. <laughs> you might be 15th level, but here's a herd of Tyrannosaurus Rex that are just rompinging down the plane. Good luck. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good, again, creative thinking and stepping outside the book is important. It does just because it says, oh, this is a solitary creature, it does not mean you have to make it that way. Yeah, exactly. So we uh, survived that. Uh, no one gets a pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thrax. Thrax, which I'm not even sure where Thrax is right now, but he's, he's kind of probably in the sleeping background. on, on probably no sleeping one's face. face yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, which is and great actually, I got that idea from I had a couple of friends that sounds like a cat. Yeah, they're, they're kittens when they when they when they adopted kittens would they wake up in the middle of the night and the kitten would be sleeping on their face because it was the warmest mm-hmm. you know place around because you know, they'd have to like constantly kick the kitten off their face. Yeah. So we did that. It was a great mo- you know even though. My, Matt wasn't so great with it, but he said, hey, wait, this is a velociraptor I can train. I <laughs> didn't think that one through. Um, but more importantly, if we meet one of our current and who we're still at right now, almost what I consider an iconic character, mm-hmm. a storm giant. Yes. But not a storm giant in the height of power, but one that is moping and is in a situation where he's sort of just kind of sitting there waiting to die. Yeah, and so if you remember, this was the part I had to rewrite when yes, well, uh, Jesse brought in the Drow character, and we had to put the Drow which in I, there. Yeah, but we didn't know that at this point. Yeah. In fact, you only recently told us about that. Actually, yeah. I don't know if you told us much you told me. Yeah, just you. Yeah. Um, so And our, our vaunted listeners. For those of you who are laughing, like, oh, okay, this is a ripoff of so-and-so. Yeah, this is where the fake phylactery is, but initially this was not the guardian for this particular phylactery. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So we have some interaction with this king that really could care less if we were there. I mean, we probably could set fire to the whole mountain. He wouldn't have cared. But it kind of made us all a little suspicious. The area is dusty, obviously not well kept. Everything is broken down or dirty. Um, we're just plain abandoned. Plain abandoned. Uh, we, With his permission, I say that loosely because I don't think he really cared. Mm-hmm. We started investigating his home. Um, some creative things on your part was like, that in this case... This home didn't go up so much as it also went down. Yes. So you needed to have somebody that was very high perception to realize, hey, there's a pattern here. In this case, it was our paladin, I believe, that found out that, wait a minute. And he noticed something wrong with the stairs. Yeah, he, he yeah. was just looking around, played around with it, and realized, click, oh, now the room, and I believe it was the entire room, shifted. Uh, well, the, the stairs, realigned. they lifted up, yeah. a la the stairs in the Munsters. Oh, okay. Remember they have the, yeah, the dragon that. or whatever it was under yeah. the stairs? Yeah, so yeah, the same sort of thing. The stairs lift up, but there's also now stairs that go down. Yeah. So we go down, uh, run into a, a, a very old, I want to say it was second edition, but a creature that Creval just wholeheartedly just bit into, which exploded. Yep. Which Gaspor. W- well, Gaspor, which again, and that's a good example of a creature does not need to be high hit point, high threat value to have an effect on the game. In this case, what that spore did was knock off hit points, which mm-hmm. would later come in as a oh moment for me and a couple others. Also make you suspicious about anything floating around. Right. Yeah. So we get through everything, we get in, and this is where we find another iconic creature in the form of a beholder. Yeah. This was a significant challenge, and in some ways it was almost not significant because it ended up being... I thought the fight could have been a lot worse, but maybe just because maybe because of time that I think that way. But maybe time through a little bit of it, but yeah. from behind the screen where I was, um, I I don't know if you know saw me panicking, but you guys no you you, you got a good poker face. Yeah, you guys usually rolled two or three times, like one or two points above what you needed to save from the eye rays, mm-hmm. and so I think no one almost got disintegrated and petrified. And then um, I forget who someone else also ended up like with the death ray that they saved by one point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, obviously, Ireland at the end 
failed um, his save against the death ray or disintegration ray yeah. and would have been disintegrated if not for the magical uh, item, the magical item that he had that, that uh, broke at that point in time, which is another great yeah. example of a small consequence that isn't noticed at first. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you guys basically with uh, just a slightly lower rolls, we could have ended up with no one being a statue and two of the players either yeah, down I was and one disintegrated. And, and then, I had failed that dex yeah. check. And then I remembered Bar- because at that point now I was a barbarian yeah. and barbarians get that danger sense and that's rolled and succeeded. Otherwise, that would have been the end of Creval. He would have yeah. had a couple magic items and that's it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and with disintegration, you know, that, and that's one thing I was really debating on the beholder because of that disintegration rate. Because if you're just a pile of dust, there's nothing there to hmm. resurrect. And if I, if I recall correctly, the, the, the monster manual says something like basically it's a true wi- uh, a wish or true mm-hmm. resurrection and that's it. Yeah. So it's uh, which both are a lot, which both are ninth level abilities. Yeah. So it, it, it could it could easily have uh, resulted in several of the characters just being written right out of the story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it seemed like he breezed right through it, but it, it was really I mean, it was sitting on a knife's edge of this being an absolute disaster. Well, one of the things that's interesting about it is with beholders, beholders have the ability to fly. We haven't encountered that too often, but um, his eye rays were bad. The flag was bad. This was one of those fights where the paladin was basically useless. This was a good example of a normally 95% chance, chance that this character is going to be perfect for the role in combat he's in. In this case, he, in fact, I don't think he did anything. I think at that point he reached into the bag of holding and pulled out a crossbow that I had had way back yeah. in the day of level one and was using one attack per round to do yeah. one. And I think he missed more often than that. And, and it also nullified the multiple attacks by mm-hmm. the monks. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was it was very neat to do that to change things up and and not just which, make the same old combat that we used to have. Which is significant. I want to touch on that um, because it was a dungeon master call. Everyone knows that at a certain level, or I'm sorry, maybe not everybody, but monks attacks, their unarmed attacks become magical for the sense of upper, overcoming magical resistance. Mm-hmm. They use key, not mana. How And then with a beholder, a beholder has the central eye, which is a cone of negation or an anti-magic field. Yes, basically. an anti-magic field, yep. So the argument, which can still be to this day, if we really wanted to get into it, which you never have, is does that affect a monk's key? And I think what you eventually ruled, for one, because it just was good for the yeah, story. Yeah, the, the ruling and, was basically, you know, this is an inherent property yeah. to the monks. You know, their ability to focus their internal energies, yeah. not some arcane or right. divine uh, magical uh, powers. So, and yeah. the reason I'm saying this is I didn't want you guys, the listeners think that, oh, that mean they couldn't do like flurry of blows or that couldn't do this. No, what we're saying is this took away the people. Our group is a ground and pound group. Our biggest weakness are aerials, mm-hmm. um, except for those of us that have spells. Yeah. So you had the care, you had two monks that can do anywhere between two to four strikes a turn. You had the paladin, which can do two strikes, but wow, can those two strikes hit if he really mm-hmm. wants to. But you had a monster that only had to be 10 feet, 15 feet off the ground to totally negate all of that. Yep. And that was without eye stock. So again, keep that in mind that if you have a, if you want to throw a dungeon master wants to throw a challenge or you want to a challenge, it, it's like, I really want a challenging creature. Don't overlook the common things. Oh, it's a beholder. Wait a minute, we can't touch it. How are we going to beat this? Yeah. That's the challenge. Or, or even harpies or mm-hmm. something else, you know, something that. Well, or a lot of yeah, the harpies and, yeah. and quicksand. You put, you know, now yeah. it's a difficult terrain and your characters are in danger. Yes. So, really small things that make for a very rich environment. So, we uh, eventually, you know, destroy the beholder, find the item. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to remind people of this, by the way, as a dungeon master, because I don't think anyone really speaks on it, but just because they achieve a goal does not mean that goal is achieved. I know. Hi- hypocritical or, mm-hmm. or, or what do you want counteract or whatever paradoxical yeah 
we got the item, but you still have to deal with the item. So therefore, it's like you got part one of two. Mm-hmm. So every time we have one of these items, we have to get it right back to a central location that's nowhere near it, especially at this point where we're at. Yeah. So we get the item. Noan slash Matthew has a great role play moment with your NPC where he actually finally convinces the giant to just basically step outside and take a breath. Yeah, and this is one of the actually more striking moments in the entire series. It's like you've got Noan who up until this point couldn't care less about anybody but, you know, numero uno. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden he's the one with the compassion to speak to this giant that clearly is, is um, suffering, you know, you know, some sort of depression where, you know, his, his whole mm. world has fallen apart and he's fallen into a deep funk. And, and we've probably known people like that, you yeah. know, they've gotten laid off. I've, and, I've been that way. And yeah. And, and, you know, their, their girlfriends left them. And, and next thing you know, they're just kind of sitting in the corner watching, you know, TV and, and, you know, gaining weight rapidly and, and not doing anything. And, uh, you know, and really, I mean, the one thing you need to do with people that are in such a state is, is you need to get them out and get them back into life. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, so Matt kind of realized that and, and just in one of those great moments in this game, just, you know, it's like, come walk with us in the sun. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is exactly what you need to do. This is great. Yeah. So a good role play moment. And again, just to point out, remember, in terms of gameplay, this is only less than a week. In terms of time in, in actual real world, this is a couple of months. But no one had just been at the dwar- dwarves killing everybody that he got contact with in combat. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a very significant evolutional mentality for not only Matthew, but the character of no one. Yeah. So we get that done. We contact Galchevar, who contacts, and we also contact the priest. Hey, we're on our way. We got to deal with this. Here's a fun moment for most dungeon masters. also frustrating. Keep in mind, we had fought in Snoot for the second time. Third time. Third time at this point. Yeah. Okay. And killed him finally. And finally killed him. But as everyone knows, dragons have one thing that everybody enjoys. Dragon hordes. Yes. Great resources. I couldn't believe you guys didn't go looking for his treasure. But oh and, this my is, and here's where I get to come back on it. At least from my side of things, I think everyone else agreed. Remember, we weren't hunting this dragon. This dragon was actually mm-hmm. hunting Adri. Yes. So when we killed it, we weren't anywhere near anything that we would think would be a potential lair. The word assume is there, yes. <laughs> but unsaid. Your players will always assume without saying it. If you throw something out and they do something that's so incredulous you can't believe it, rest assured they have made the the horrific mistake of assuming. Oh, well, it found us, therefore there's no lair nearby. And, and once again, um, in this case, it's Galchabar acting as mm-hmm. a dungeon master's voice in the party and being able to say, hey, this thing over yeah. here you guys totally missed, it's right there. Which again, another important dungeon master note that he had said last, or sorry, he, Michael, had mm-hmm. told us in our last interview last time. Having NPCs that can act as the voice of you, you being mm-hmm. the dungeon master, is important. Just keep it balanced so it doesn't overwhelm the party or take it over. Yep. Hey, what'd you find in its horde? Huh? Great reply. <laughs> so we found the, I think it was a lake. We yeah. swam under there. And actually, um, if we could just drop back to, yeah. you know, not taking over. Yeah. I mean, you've got to basically uh, make a uh, character who is passive. Um, and that's one of the uh, challenges I had when Orlana was in the party. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make her too powerful. I had to make her an apprentice and kind of useless because if all of a sudden she was another wild magic sorcerer on par with Arlen, well, that would tilt the dynamics of the whole thing. And the same thing if she was too knowledgeable or anything like that. So basically, she, like I said, she had to be encumbering luggage. She just, just had to and, be a, a tag along. Right. And, it, and it's worth noting that when he, when, and you hear Michael say useless or worthless. It's not that they're a bumbling fool, which is an old trope. Keep in mind, the Olorana character is traumatized, probably mm-hmm. suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. 
completely fish out of water. Complete fish out of water, still has magical abilities exploding out of her that she has no hope of controlling. Even though you're trying to make a thing, you know, Arlen believes she can help her. She thinks, you know, he's playing it off as, yes, you can help her. But secretly, you both know, you know, singularly as a dungeon master, that whether or not that's actually going to happen. This is a prime example of, yes, it annoys the players, but it creates a resource, a hindrance, and then sometimes an aid, mm-hmm. which yeah. is what you're striving for with every non-PC character. When you make one, in my opinion, and please back me up, regardless of what the story purpose is of the NPC, it should be aidful, it should have a drawback to using, and it should have some manner of enrichment for your world. You just don't have to make, oh, this is an NPC, he's serving drinks. Okay, why? What happens if someone slaps the hell out of them? You know, but again, that that happens. You was the first thing a player does. I'm gonna get a drink. Oh, he don't like him. Smack. Okay, now you got three guys on top of you beating your carefully into your life and throws you on the seat and you're naked in the street and you lost all your gear, including the magical item that you were supposed to be watching. Congratulations. Yeah, it sucks, but it's it's a rich story, rich environment because of a character you created that was mistreated by the player. It's not because you're being a jerk, which sometimes can come up. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. So back to the back thing. So now we find the dragon horde. Remember, low magic campaign proper use of magical given out is that he picks he michael picks magical items that have a boon but they're not going to and this is important does not destroy the balance of your world yeah and actually what i did for this um since you know this is kind of like i said a low magic world so where are you going to find magical items well i mean yes like the most high-end kishy shops in the higher districts of, and even that doesn't mean they're for yeah. sale they're there for display yeah or or if they are for sale it, it's going to be monumentally expensive which was really hilarious the first time you went into the magic shop in port of magnum and you, you went there with your 50 gold pieces or whatever mm-hmm. it was and and the guy saying well were you looking for something that was like a 500 gold pieces or 5,000 gold pieces what were you looking for and and i just remember jesse's face just kind of falling really yeah. it's like you are well beyond the uh but but it also whether you intend this or not and, and please let listeners take this to heart that for a lot of the things that we've done upgrade, especially for Craval, it's been a trade mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. still with cash evolved, yeah. but it brought it back down into you want yeah. this, you got to give something up. Your but, players may not like it, but it's a balance to the fact that it's a low magic campaign. Yeah. And so, where are you more likely to find magic items? Well, you know, it's an old world. You're going to find them in old caches. So, like by in, creatures in, that in, have yeah. abilities to sense those items or gather them, yes. yeah, or long lived enough that they've. Yeah been able to collect them over a long time things like that so what i did is i actually went through and just randomly rolled because it's like well the creature wouldn't have things necessarily valuable to you mm-hmm. so i would randomly roll it up and and say okay and, and sometimes i would discard it it's like okay no that's that's going to be useless in the campaign going forward but most of the time it's like yeah that sounds like well, a good one i'll go with that here's a good and here's a good example of that um in in a game that i was in i rolled just like you, I rolled for a deck of many things, mm. which you could have done for this dragon, I think, at this point. It would have been a high, high, very rare roll, but you could have done it. Just because you roll it, and I'm going to go back to what he just said, doesn't mean you have to use it. Yeah, that could that can cause a lot of chaos. Yeah. So keep it that can mind. be fun chaos. Because yeah, your players are never going to know. And again, yeah. we got items that are useful. Are they completely useful to the characters you have? No, mm. maybe not. Maybe they're not going to make them the next tier killer. But several items that the players have gotten at this table have been turned around as trade once yep. again mm-hmm. to get an item. Case in point, I traded something that was actually pretty valuable to get Arlen the medallion. Mm-hmm. Why? 
Your flaming greatsword, I think. Yeah. No. Oh no. Okay. Connor has that. Um, it was a couple items. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I did it because I wanted to get Arlen more hit points, yeah. and it made sense story wise. Anyway, um, so we leave the horde. We're all happy, and of course, great time for the villain to come back up. Yes. Um, it's important to note that, the, in my opinion, this villain actually appeared twice. Once that we know of, and once at some point we don't know of. The don't know of, to remind it to the listeners, because we're not going to touch too much on it, is that the body of the Black Dragon disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are told this by via water bowl by Galchabar. Yeah, he's like, I went to the place that the dragon was, and mm-hmm. it wasn't there. Yeah, so. Hmm. So, in, you know, just uh, adds, adds to the mystery of what's going on in the world. So, snap of the fingers, we're back in La La Land. Yeah, so you went and had a cup of coffee with the with the uh, halflings and mm-hmm. actually got to deal with some business for Cotter. And then, yeah, the... Oh, uh, yeah, that's actually where the... Again, I'm sorry, real quick. Mm-hmm. That is where we did the other way of getting a magic item because we talk about horde collection. Mm-hmm. You can request of your dungeon master with resources to make something. I did have some of the scales from the creature and we ended up having the shield made and mm-hmm. a couple gloves made. That's the other way of doing it. I think this is great when a dungeon master, you know, the yes and at the mm-hmm. point you can't do yes and something like that. I think is normally a yes. Don't you, would you agree yeah. or disagree? Yeah. Uh, well, in the, the, the and part though, if you remember the first thing you wanted done was going to take like 12 months or something to complete yeah, or three months. Was. I and you're it was. Like, armor and, and you're like, yeah, we're going to be either dead or succeed by the time this is ready. So yeah, you had to go for and again, smaller items. That's really important as a dungeon master for, for a ton of dungeon masters, just because your players want it doesn't mean you got to give it. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, you're running a campaign. Yeah, it's high magic, it's high fantasy. But if you look in your books, there's always that scale. Says, hey, if you're going to give magic or create one, it tells you how long it makes. Stick to that. Don't let your players push it because the players will inadvertently destroy their own story because they don't realize the balance that you've created. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. Yeah. So um, armor, no, but shield, gloves, order. We have the cup of coffee. We get the Starbucks Easter egg. That was when we did catch. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what you called it, but again, I want to say it was Jesse. Herculeum Stella. Which I think. Which is Star Stag in Latin. Which I think Owen caught. Uh, actually, probably Jesse again. Was it Jesse again? Because she studied Latin. Yeah, so that, and, and that was like Starbucks. But, like, I, but oh, I think I think Owen cottoned on to it, it, it was, you know, the Stella part was yeah. Star. Um, I noticed that, especially I know I'm, I'm, I'm bad at this. Well, I say bad, but it's a quotation mark around the bad. That as far as a player, like when, when there's an Easter egg you throw into it, and they're all fun. They're meant to be fun. Don't throw an Easter egg in because you're feeling like being cruel. If a player says, my character's not going to enjoy this because you're feeling like being a jerk, that's on your player. Your dungeon master is, go- when your dungeon master goes out of his way to create, no matter how bad the pun is, a pun for your enjoyment, roll with it. It's your turn to say yes, and Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah if, if yeah. possible, yeah. yeah. So, like, for Craval, makes sense. Craval does not eat a lot of bread. That was a joke we made up not too long mm-hmm. ago. Craval doesn't drink coffee. Craval, I mean, they, they, it, Dragonborn and, and the way we built up the world are very primal. It's, mm-hmm. it's all hunt and grow, harvest and eat. That's, Okay, but if you and, and, and nobody here at this table did, but we'll just say we'll just roll on that and then we'll say Bryce. If Bryce used Cotter to be aggressively jerkish because he's getting irritated at puns, at that point, the player and the dungeon master need to have a conversation. Yep. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you definitely want to sit down with your player if there's some sort of friction going on, yeah. whether it's between the players or between the, the player and the storyline or the player and their character. You know, if, they're, mm-hmm. if you notice they're just not happy with their character, it's like. Yeah. Like we did with uh, with Melanie and Jade Claw. It's like she, if she had been given the, or had rolled up that character and not just given it, she would have done it differently. So <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, go make the character that we yeah. want to and let's bring it into the campaign that way going forward. So um, we meet the Mind Traveler, who is yes. 
um, was a very interesting NPC. We actually didn't have a lot of interaction with him, but he was significant because he, with what he did, basically, by your own words, and please tell me if I'm mistaken, this made it almost impossible or superfluous. Basically, we can't go back to that world that of illusion that the law puts us into. Well, now. you can see through it now. Yeah. yeah. So he, he basically... We see through he, it for the did, falsity he, that he it is. He beat you until uh, the, the floggings continued until yeah. morale improved. Exactly. He, he beat, beat on you and t- to break you out of the, uh, the mind state. And so, yeah, you would, and if you remember the, the next time you saw a low all in, in the guise of a halfling, um, and he put you into the endless plane, all the rest of you could see right through it, except Jade Claw, who was not there with the mind traveler and was stuck and mm-hmm. you had to dispel it. So, um, again, a good example of a, now in this case, there's, we don't have any history on the mind traveler. We don't, we know, and it, it, it's a gith for those that didn't realize mm-hmm. it. Or was it a gith or was yes. it a gith yonki? Which oh, are two I just things. can never keep them, keep them straight anymore. Okay. So but it was but one, it, of, but, one of the gith people. But yeah. this is a good example of something that comes in. It's a, it's a one shot use and it's gone. Will we ever see the mind traveler again? I think we see it one other time. Yeah, you do. Run and it's him. not for anything for us. I mean, literally, and it actually to the point where they're like, you can go now and we're completely dismissed. Yeah, you, you, you we even asked for aid yeah. and they're like, if we must, and then yeah. kick to the butt and go. Yeah. That has its place in time. In time, if, if you're not sure when it is, you'll figure it out. Yeah. But again, yeah. a great example of creativity from the Dungeon Master to create a resource that is a one-time shot and done. Yep. And actually, the Mind Traveler is actually the name of a song by the band Falconer. Is it? Yeah. And uh, he, in, in, I think I knew in, that. In, the, in the narrative on the song, he is um, basically... Uh, Probing the secrets of the universe and you know talking with elder people and holy men and 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 uh, you know so basically I mean Bryce caught on to it right away but you know the, this Gith is doing the same thing he's trying to find out what the eventual uh, destiny of of the people on this uh, this plane are and so he's going on talking to the elder people and the holy folks and and uh, trying to probe the secrets of this world. And because of that, he, he, you know, he exists outside of the framework of the world, which is why you guys ran into him in the illusionary world. Which gives the, you as a dungeon master creativity to mess with your own world without having a lasting effect. Yeah. So we meet him. We're all kind of like, okay, well, hey, yay, we don't, yeah. Yeah. But consequences. We go back to four. Yeah, so when- Back to the Dwarven City. Forest, um, well, Latin, really Latin. Well, he had a name, since at the Latin. Yeah. I know someone's yelling, it's something for me. Yeah, the home of this dwarves. That's why, that's why I was saying. Well, you, you skipped over the most important part of the Mind Traveler episode Ooh. was that you popped back into reality, found yourself back on the same street that you were before oh, everyone staring at you because right. you're acting and so weird. And the phylactery is missing. And the phylactery is missing. And then it's been a debate since then. It's like, was that the real phylactery? And Lowell showed up to reclaim it, or was that yet another fake? But Lowell stole it, so you would think it was a real one, and stop searching for other phylacteries, and then you know not go after the real one. So here, and that's a very—I don't know if you intended that to be as significant as it is, because story-wise, it creates doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's easy. Here's the other thing that that has come up from that doubt. At this table, many times the players have thought of trying to figure ways of getting an answer of whether or not that item is fake. Every time has not necessarily been a failure, but it definitely hasn't been a success. That is a very thin razor sword edge, however mm-hmm. you want to call it, to walk as a dungeon master. Yes, it is. Have there been moments where you're like, oh man, I'm going to lose my players over this? Uh, no, but at the same time, it's it, yeah, there's been times where it's like, okay, yeah, are they about to explode the whole story or not? Yeah. yeah. Um, keep in mind, because I know I've had players, for listeners, that when you have a player, in my case, we'll use my case, you know, everyone wants to say divine intervention means just about anything. It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Had I poured, had I used, let's just, let's, we'll just role play that for a minute. 
Michael the Dungeon Master has a very significant story hitch up here with this flactory of was it the real one? Did we really have the real one? Or was it a fake one and the wall's just messing with us? And we still don't have an answer. Had I used divine intervention, rolled it, it went off, whatever you want to call it. Him as a dungeon master does not need to say, yeah, that's a fake. Case in point, I rolled divine intervention. I'm going to ask Nawada, does our enemy have the weakness we were seeking for? Really bad way of posing that because he can say. Definitely. He definitely has a weakness. (laughs) You're not beholden to your players to give them what they want. Yes. Michael has never, in my opinion, has done a great job of not doing that. And trust me, there are times I've been very pushy. There's times everyone at this table has been very pushy. The low magic setting of it all, the trying to gather resources, the loss of resources, all of that is by design, or even if it's improvised, you realize, you know what? These guys wouldn't give this back. Stick to your guns. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, the Mind Traveler, or no, I'm sorry, almost fell backward. So we lost the phylactery. Still to this day, much conversation about that. Also significant. We somehow managed to lose a adult sized corpse of a black dragon. Yes. Still significant. Several Not, mysteries hanging yeah. out there. But that is quickly forgotten about as consequences come back around for no one. Yes. You have to go back to Faramons. We go back to Faramons. We meet Nola. Nola's happy to see us. Everything's going well. We're sleeping. While we're resting, or at least in our separate rooms, because now we've achieved a status where we can have our own rooms, it's not six to or four or five to a room, no one literally has his decisions bite him in the back. Yes. Um, the son of one of the, the guards that he killed is sworn vengeance on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the it turns out in the end, you, when you find out that, um, you know, he basically, the, the succubus came around and allied with him and gave him assassin's powers and a poison blade. And he got stabbed right away by the poison blade. And mm-hmm. so the poison was coursing through his system, doing damage. And uh, then, you know, the, the assassin himself was stabbing him. And, and I I didn't realize how concerned Noan was because I knew that eventually one of you would hear him and come to your his aid. But, yeah, he was thinking that this might be it. Yeah. Um, the character is what I'm going to talk about, the son, which I don't know if we ever got the son's name was a great example of a multi-class character if you think about it because he stabbed him. He got the backstab damage from stabbing him, but technically, because of his pact, now he's also, second example, of a warlock. You could easily say that this is a pact of the blade with a oath to a fiend. Is that was that your idea when you did that, or did basically that it was just allied with him? It wasn't. It wasn't like he had a pact or anything. Any warlock powers? He she had just given you know basically poof. You you're now. But but really, when you think about it, it's kind of it's the same sort of deal though. Instead of being a warlock pact, I mean, it's it's kind of more like you know, uh, the descendant to Avernus deal with the devil. Right. Where you know, in exchange for the ability to have enough, uh, you know, ability to kill his. Uh, father's uh, assassin he was going to sell his soul to the yeah. succubus so and here's a really interesting thing about that as a dungeon master because we're gonna let's let's take another step with that let's just say it's a player that's playing the sun that's the that's what you've mm-hmm. stepped out he gets to fight he's like, he can't get to the guy that he wants to get here's a way this person creature saying i'll help you here's a weapon you're gonna you do this for me i'll do this for you it seems pretty innocent whatever the thing it wants because it will be mm-hmm. But now you could create a connection with that character, that player, to keep bringing that psychic back to potentially make him a warlock. Yep. 
So that or I, or a story element for the towards the end of the thing mm-hmm. where the succubus is going to show up. It's like okay, time to pay up. You get to you get yeah. to, to give me your soul to take down to the the underworld, and now the party either has to um, you know defeat the succubus or they lose that character. Mm-hmm. Um, that decision you made with that connection actually was one inspiration for the things I would later do. But it was a great use of multiple storylines to create a third storyline. Mm-hmm. I mean and. Again, just because, again, once again, we dealt with the issue, but the succubus still is out there. So uh, no one has a first real heavy flash of conscience of his decisions, realizing that everything he's doing has consequences that he can't see. Um, this, the, we don't kill the son, I don't believe. I think he's... Uh, you subdue, subdue him, him and then he's take him away. to the prison and when they go to check on him later they find him dead in a right. cell with a succubus's kiss mark on his cheek there you go so she she came in and uh, collected on the debt yeah again still great storytelling great decision for an npc great way to wrap it up in terms of okay well this person may not come back but the initial threat May just another thread, not all. And, and do you agree? Not all threads need to be resolved when you no, tell a story. No, yeah. I mean, the succubus could quite easily have just uh, you know, cavorted back off to the lo- the underworld and yeah. is happy there, or maybe they're in another part of the kingdom, or maybe a mm-hmm. different kingdom entirely, yeah. causing havoc. Um, I mean, what's what 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 is time to a succubus, anyways? You know exactly. They, yeah. And for your players, your players will forget because I think most people at the table have. Um, but uh, for the dungeon master, it's like make a note. Hey. Next time I do a campaign, that can be a recurring thing. Yeah. So, um, other thing occurs up. I forget why this was so important, but it was. We end up going back to, uh, excuse me, Porta Magnum, mm-hmm. talking to, we tell the church that we lost the phylactery because they're expecting us to show up with a phylactery. Explain what happened. Significantly, for whatever reason, because I still remember why, Orlando will end up returning. We well, will actually so- ask to get her resurrected yeah, this one was an interesting one because um, if you remember, Galchabar actually mentioned to Arlen like a third of the episodes ago that, you know, right after Alana died, that if, you know, you had some piece of her that you might be able to bring her back. And I thought that Owen would jump on that right away. And he, you don't know Owen. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he didn't. Um, and in, for, you know, we did in his interview, we, we touched on that and he said, basically part of it was that, you know, that braid that he gave her or that she gave him, um, was acting as a magic item that was protecting him. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want to give that up. And then also, um, you know, it, it, he wasn't, he didn't want to bring her back until he was sure that she would come back without the wild magic. You know, because if he just brought her back and she blew up again, well, that would be cruel. Which, and I think the resurrection ritual that we use does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It, I'm still a little off of hazy on because we don't do resurrections very often in our game. Yeah, it it but, removes any conditions yeah, that, that were present. Right. So yeah. therefore, and, because and as Dungeon Master, case, I ruled that I would sorry, get rid of the. Yeah, uh, in Orlana's case, magic. it wasn't a. It was an affliction, not mm-hmm. a natural ability. So you ruled for that, and Orlana came back. Yeah. An example of okay, well now the NPC back, but there is growth. The NPC is not the same, and now he, she's. If we were to bring her along, she's still very much a problem. Yeah. And did we leave Orlana with his family? Uh, yeah. Well, to be returned to her family over there by the Mare. Okay. Um. The the uh, a couple of Cotter's sisters were going to bundle her on an airship and take her over there and make sure she got back to her, uh, to her uh, family farm without any further ado. Mm-hmm. So we, we take care of that, and that's all because that's all handled on the way to what will probably be the most 
frustrating moments of this game, which was the every interaction that we had, even the Cloud Giants wasn't this bad, for, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which is the Underdark. Underdark is and always shall be, should be treated as an entirely different world within the world. Yes. So we go back. And yet, very same. In fact, I, um, I need to bring this up with Cotter at some point. Um, did you ever notice all the parallels between Port of Magnum and the uh, city there in the underworld? Oh, yeah. It's but again, I can't bring it up. I don't know how to bring it up. But Cavallo, hey, look, that's the thing. The women rule here. The women technically rule there. I mean, it, it's it's but flip there's, the coin. there's thirteen uh, yeah. ho- houses in Port of Magnum. There's, there are thirteen uh, hills with the uh, priestess mm-hmm. houses in in uh, in the Underdark. Uh, basically, they same share the same culture, the same dances, everything yep. like that. They're just basically flip sides to each other. Heads and tails of a penny. Yeah. So yeah, but again, it's very subtle, and again, um, I know while this will always come up on a table, I think um, player char- player knowledge versus character knowledge. Just because you know it as a player does not mean your character necessarily know- mm-hmm. notices it. So I can say, yeah, I noticed it. I can also say, in my opinion, that Craval would not notice something that subtle. He's a very perceptive person, yeah. but it, that's more like, hey, that's standing out. Like that looks like a trap because he's used to protecting himself mm-hmm. when he's hunting. He's not going to pick up on the nuances of a city. Yeah. He does. He's, he's not city bound. Now, the argument could be made if I had not made Craval the way he did. If Craval had been a human rogue, he definitely would have picked that up. Like, wait a minute. This is really popular to the streets. I'm from what the heck is going on? That yeah. you could do. So, again, role played greatly. The hints are there, but doesn't mean you have to be like, hey, player, knock, 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 knock. You're yeah. missing something. Yeah, would, 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 would your character possibly notice this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, because of all the stress involved, would Cotter have noticed it? Mm-hmm. So, and, and we'll get into that. So, we get back to the Clouded Oasis, because as a reminder to the listeners, we had encountered a doorway that was written in the Dark Elvis script, which basically said, do not enter because you're not ready for Jesse. But it was the only access that we knew of the underworld. Now, it's important to notice, and then again, as a dungeon master, you have to deal with this. The player herself is not ready to be back in the Underdark. While she liked the idea of a metal, I think she called it a metal alternative elf. Mm-hmm. She like has, the goth elf, yeah, yeah sure. the goth elf. She had no idea of the history of what a what it is to be or around the society of the drow, traditionally speaking. Mm-hmm. So, as a dungeon master, that is a huge benefit. That is a yeah. huge undertaking because what you now will do with her will alter how she sees her own character. Yes. So. We get down there, we go down, and at first it's very boring, it's a lot of rocks. The first significant thing that we see is a forest. Not redwoods or pine, but mushrooms. Mushrooms. So, does that create issues for you as a dungeon master? Because like, okay, now instead of saying they're running into woods, now I gotta figure out, okay, now there's mushrooms, and some do this, some do that, they don't know what they're doing. How do you balance that with the, the need to make it strange weird and new without accidentally going i just killed the party that i just realized i can't get them out of this <laughs> well obviously that i mean that's always uh, in the back of your mind for the whole place where it's not easy to uh, pull people out of uh but actually with the uh with the uh mushroom forest it was actually just kind of it's kind of one of those fun asides that i mean when you're when you are doing something serious like this where you know, the uh, party is, is, you know, on the knife's edge of life and death. From time to time, you've got to have the 
kind of touching aside the comedic part, something just to break that tension. You know, for instance, like in um, Lord of the Rings, when um, Frodo and Sam get to the crossroads in Athelan and the um, orcs have knocked down the head of the statue of the old king there and scrawled upon it. But then Sam notices, you know, the, the light, little beams of light shine on it and flowers have grown around the top of the king's head as, a, as kind of a little flowery crown. You know, so you just have to have these just little, little moments things, yeah. where, where, you know, there's a little ray of sunshine in the middle of all this darkness. So, yeah, and again, it's good to show oppression, but you also have to show, like, something familiar so the mm-hmm. characters don't, the characters, I'm sorry, the players don't feel like they're completely out of their yeah. depth. And then the other thing was, this was an encounter that you were not supposed to resolve with combat. Yeah. I mean, you... Which which we didn't. Even yeah. though there was some combat, we didn't actually resolve about it. Yeah. But let's not get to that yet, because yeah. that's going to come up. But yeah, I mean, you, you could have just like waded into right. these strange uh, fungal creatures and you know, assuming they were bad. But it turns out, no, that they're they're not g- bad or good. They're neutral and they're just as happy to let you pass through as they are to uh, hinder you. Yeah. So a lot actually ends up happening here um, for various people. And I, as I'm reading through the the chronological order, some of it's not touched on. So hopefully we hit it. I don't miss any of it. We... Uh, we do the fungal forest, uh, mushrooms instead of trees, which is a big trip. We realize we need to eat. Um, we do have some rations, but this is the first time that we've, I think this is about the time we start realizing that we need to do things like keep track of rations. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? We go fishing in an underground river for underground fish. And we have cave fish sashimi, which is, which is funny for yes. some people that don't like sushi at the table and for others <laughs> that do. <laughs> well, the big thing that happened in that episode is you ran into a ra- drow ranger yeah. and his panther companion oh that's true yes this is when that happened what a great nod toward the db cannon Realms. was that yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. drizzt Dorden. yeah uh, a great way to uh, um i know because i remember part of me was like oh man i hope we're not pushing the limits of uh copyright here but it was a really great way to pay homage to the great giants of the industry mm-hmm. of role playing in books. Yeah. So yes, we run into our, our uh, drow ranger with a panther yeah. companion. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's fun <laughs> just, just to like the people that are conversant yeah. with Dungeons and Dragons canon when that happened, just to watch their ears perk up. Mm-hmm. What? And, and this was, and, a, and then of course you find out that no, this is not exactly the famed ranger. And of That's Forgotten exactly Realms. what I was going to say. Just yeah. because it's homage does not mean you're necessarily going to worry about copyright. You know. Yeah. Um. But we they. Offer some aid, but not get. They don't take over the party and lose directly there, which is good because you want the challenge of finding. Because that's part of the mythos of dwar- dark elves. Is you, yeah, you're in the underdark, but you still have to find them. Yeah, the underdark um, is a giant maze of tunnels, and uh, and what's important yeah. to notice is that you're gonna run into underground creatures, predominantly underground spiders, especially mm-hmm. where the drills are. Um, I know one one of them, itsy bitsy spiders, was commented on. This is a good way of one. We ended up having combat. We got some treasures, some older magics again, mm-hmm. because why not? It's buried underground. This later thing that came out that was significant, which I wanted to touch on, is that those same spiders that we killed, there were still more spiders that weren't killed that went back and reported us. Yes. That we had no idea about again. And, but I dropped that hint on you guys the minute you got into the Underdark that, you know, it's like the rumor is that uh, that all yeah. spiders are drows are, are um, right. the eyes of the drow, and you're like, dum 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 Well, we have to be dum 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 because remember, drow in some ways are very much old world. Mm-hmm. They're not something that's significant in the upper world. Yep. Yeah, you hear like, okay, yeah, what you got to play it like you hear it. I think Matthew would say it best, like, yeah, we heard it. It doesn't mean we have to believe it. Yep. Really, spiders, okay, whatever. And honestly, if you really think about it, the characters didn't see a lot of spider action with it where Drow were concerned. The one the person that really saw that was Adri with her family. 
Mm-hmm. Every, we were somewhere else yeah. contained. But I, oftentimes I would, in the description of the room, you know, it'd be like, okay, there, there's a bunch of these things. And you notice some spiders crawling across the ceiling. Yeah. And, you know, those were keeping an eye on you for Lulth the entire yeah. time you were headed down there. Which, again, we're going to get to that. Again, cause, again, con- if you haven't really caught on to this with unintentionally consequence is a big wheel that keeps coming back around for us mm-hmm. here. Um, there's an ambush at the chasm where, we, where two things are significant. One, before we had this ambush, we had dealt with the spiders, totally played off the fact that we didn't realize spiders really are spies. And then we had run into a patrol, which we killed. Mm-hmm. One person got away. At that point, um, I had I had gotten this great idea, <laughs> sarcasm there, <clears throat> to try to establish Adri as a head of a new house. Great role play moment. Once again, you don't have any social skills. Yes, exactly. So we get along. Um, we're like, okay, let's get the heck out of here. We get out of there. Well, the ambush of the chasm was when Adri's betrothed showed Correct. up. Correct. And this was a and this was a great example of a dungeon master setting up an ambush where death was not the main goal. Mm-hmm. The main goal was, was a moment to be enrich a player at the table's backstory. Yep. And yes, ambush retrieval now this was the first of four or but this was more the, the one of the most significant in my mind of political play at the table mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because dungeons and dragons is always about rolling dice and getting loot but it, if you want a balance to give your players a break from the every time you know oh, we're sitting down oh we're gonna roll dice okay time to go home you have to have moments like these and they're they're, they're rarely enjoyable but i think in this case it was really enjoyable for you um Adrian, you know, again, Jesse, not Adrian, but Jesse, not having any concept of what dark elf politics are like. So we're all taken captive. She separated. And actually, I was really happy that you didn't fight me on that because basically what happened was the the TV or the movie screen cut Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're surrounded by the drow. And in the next episode or the next, you know, cut, you know, to the next scene, you're in prison, yeah, and and you know the, you guys could have fought that and said, okay, no, we're gonna we're gonna fight them tooth and nail. Th- and that's had that's go, player yeah. ego that can yeah. kind of do that. But here's the thing, you're overlooking the way you set up that ambush. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners, and and I'm not saying this is a complaint. This is just the fact of out. We were on a bridge. We were all in one singular line. We were not tactically in any place of good value. Even with our fast movement speeds of the people we had, and some people that could do. Um, 50, 60 feet a minute. Right, or, or cast that and, gate spell where you oh, yeah. can teleport. Yeah. I mean, that's all. those were all viable options. The sheer amount of people at that point mm-hmm. on and the that's other side. what I tried to explain to everybody yeah. is like if you your were surrounded party, by If your dozens. party of those players, because maybe you're playing for the first time and they're like, no, we're still going to, we got this. Consequence would have been that bridge would have got damaged. Chances are the slowest person, which I think at this point would have been me, most likely would have fallen in the chasm and God knows what happened from there. Mm-hmm. But again, in this case, we were like, you know, discretion, but a part of valor. We'll see what happens. And we did that. Consequence was we lost all our stuff. Yep. I mean, we got some of it back, but not all of it. That'll come back up. It'll come back in later. So Adri, or rather Jesse, with Adri, has the next few weeks entirely the spotlight is on her. Mm-hmm. Um, you have done a great job of having that happen with all of us at the table. Spotlight. I mean, the, the sole exception being jade claw aka melanie but that's only because she came into the game so much later down the road yep. um so we and actually she's had the spotlight on her in some of the side stories with the kittens so the uh significant thing here for me is that 
Jesse is separated from the rest of the group. Yes. We cannot help Jesse at all. I mean, and at some point, we're actually even keeping our mouths shut because Jesse has to do it all. Yep. Um, the and, party and it was is, kind of fun. Meanwhile, you you guys were like, we can't do anything. I remember right. Bryce saying that he was trying <clears throat> to figure out how to get enough material components to cast a single spell. Right. Um, so it was I was fantastic all, in that I way. Was going through all my spells, trying to find... Um, Anything I can cast that didn't require a material component, which are um, there was something we could do in case things kicked off. Because hey, we're in a hostile area. Technically, we're prisoners, although we're retreating very well for yep. being prisoners. Um, in a gilded cage, but a, prisoners a, nonetheless. A, exactly. Adri, on the other hand, is dealing with a father and a mother who is not a full of drow, which is her genetic mother. She's dealing with the other women in her family that are full drow. Um, or three quarters, or, what, or yeah. whatever yeah. it is, uh, but they look more drow than she does, yeah. and more importantly, they act more drow. Yeah, sh- exactly. So it was a very interesting part because I know a lot of people in the past year or two have been really pushing the whole. There's no such thing as a really evil race. It's kind of bad that you know mm-hmm. if you want to be drow, you have to be evil and this, that, and the other. This has been a great example of two things, in my opinion, from this role play. And I really, ex- I, I, I would encourage listeners to go back and for, ignore the game mechanics and just listen to the story if that if that makes sense mm-hmm. jesse wanted an alternative goth elf that's what she made but that came with history mm-hmm. while she's down there she stuck to her guns and really was just because i'm drow does not mean i'm drow yeah and actually um after you um or you know, as as you are escaping, um, one thing that facilitates the escape is it turns out that her sister, after um, one of her sisters, yeah, one of her sisters after Adri left, really stepped back and took a look at their existence and realized how wanting it was, and she turned to Sylvanas instead of Loth and and joined the resistance. And actually, what where that came from was when we started this whole arc, uh, Adri. Um, well, Jesse had asked me to uh, to uh, put some good drow in there as well. She had researched the mm-hmm. the drow background because there and, are there yeah. are people that are there is a yeah. movement within the drow society to try to pull people away from Loth. Yeah, and and so she asked me to put that in there. I'm like, this is a great thing to add because you know at, at the time I hadn't I you know had not you know fully formed what was going to happen down in in the Underdark, but it's like. Yeah, this is really great. And now, at the same time, um, the the guy who uh, is the author of the Drizzt novels, when he was interviewed um, recently, basically said, you know, you know, essentially this is kind of a, a totalitarian state. And so mm-hmm. there's really three types of people. There's the people that you know are, are basically, for lack of a better term, wicked and just go along with it because you know they they want the advancement their way. Then there's an awful lot, you know, the vast majority of people that are basically going along with it because that's the way things are. And if you stick your head up, you end up getting it chopped off. So, it, you know, between those two alternatives, they'll, they'll go along with the way they are. And then the, the small minority of people that rebel against it and push against it, and most of those end up dead. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it was... You know, and you see that like, once again, like I said, with like the South American juntas and things yeah. like that. I mean, if the people that would speak up would disappear the next day. But again, it's significant because, again, you gave us a resource, mm-hmm. the sister yeah. and the brother, and for that matter. That come and actually, play. that was also my safety valve. So if um, 
Jesse could not figure a way for Adri to get you all out of there. Mm-hmm. The sister was going to be able yeah. to step in and, and unlock the gates to the and let you guys all escape out. And yeah, and it's important to notice that for this for a jail escape, none of our characters are set for that. None of them are set for yep. a jail escape. That would have been that's one of those occasions where it, you don't have to be the dungeon master to realize that if we have the jail escape, this none of, this is going to be a highly difficult to almost impossible task because none of us are set up to be jailbreakers. Yeah, it'd be like Ocean's None because exactly. none of you would be selected. <laughs> we'd be, we'd be uh, <laughs> Puddles Eleven. Yes, but we do end up getting uh, hatched out of there with Jesse and the sister, um, who actually has requests to save her brother. I think. Mm-hmm. In, in exchange yeah her brother went missing on a, a raid and hasn't been seen since and the item that we talk about is is located down in the dark and it's one of the more coveted items of the priestess 13 class. priestess yeah. classes yes. that rule the city whoever whoever has it right. is is the head of the so, the, uh, the church yeah well jc jess jace sorry jesse well jesse is better equipped and does a halfway decent job of, of avoiding the detection the rest of us do not so actually that was one once again one of the more hilarious yeah. skills challenges where it was designed to be pretty easy and it just once again the too, dice rolled too the wrong he- way. Yeah, two heavy played mo- uh caster or yeah. two heavy played tanks, a caster who's bumbler, it, it just Arlen is, and then um Jade is doing a best she can do, but when you have three that just those three alone, yeah. forget we can forget no one for a second. It's it was just not gonna work and the dice agreed with us. Interesting enough, good role play moment though. Loth is also bored. Yes. Loth steps up via the dungeon master to offer a deal. Where did that come from? So is that the, really the safety release valve? Well, um, you would have run into her either way. Okay. Um, so the 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 two things there. One thing, um, it was going to be very difficult to get out of the underdark without you encountering her and uh, getting getting the mark. Um, at the same time, also really kind of wanted to put that exclamation point on the end of this thing where, oh my gosh, we just ran to Lolf. Yes, Lolf is actually present here and is, you know, basically stirring things up to create chaos. And things are as bad as we thought they were here, where basically anytime things start to settle down and get too routine, she just comes in and kicks over the anthill again. Right. Which has happened a couple of times yep. then, but there's only a couple of anthills left. I know I'm one of them. <laughs> That will come back and haunt us um, during our escape. Uh, we get in a boat, and two of the natural. Mm-hmm. Although you do, you once again your um, your escape is facilitated by this underground of um, drow that have pulled away from uh, Lolth. and you know this is where you really kind of find out about the whole underground and how people are being spirited out, and you find out that. Uh, Nissian the Bard, who's in you know the dis- disguised as as uh, Panther. Nissian is the most mysterious NPC you have put out to date. Um, which is because if he really is a Bard, I'm just going to go with him being a Bard. It's a great. It's probably one of the best uses of a Bard, other than being the impregnator of a world mm-hmm. that the slut ball that everyone plays him as. <laughs> um, I'm going to be a little loose here because I this for some reason I'm having a hard time with my memory, but even with the uh, notes here about what happened where, so we're just going to kind of go in that um, eating slugs. That was when you actually had dinner with the, uh, the uh, drow underground oh, okay. in their safe house. Yeah. That was supposed to be a combination of um, demonstrating the um, lack of means that, you know, the underground had that right. they're, they're, you know, basically cooking oh. slugs on a campfire and mushrooms um, or whatever else. And, yeah. and also, um, you know, if you're in the Underdark, hey, slugs are probably pretty tasty. So <laughs> when why not? In Ro- when in Rome. Exactly. Um, but 
interestingly enough, uh, we encounter yet another aberration series of creatures. Mm-hmm. In this case, in the Illithid, uh, which are they're, they've all, I don't know. I know they were designed to be weird and out of the norm and make your characters and players go, wow, this is odd. But I got to tell you, even looking back on it, it is such a cringe for me because it's so foreign, which yeah. I think is exactly why they were and, created. And that was a huge challenge for me designing this next arc was like, how do you make their lair just so cockeyed that it just i mean everything seems off because mm-hmm. it's created by a, a creatures who are a realm away from us and don't think in any way shape or form like we do yeah so it was it was you know i, I just kept kind of racking my brains on how do i make the description so like all the tunnels curved nothing goes in a straight line mm-hmm. everything's kind of organically shaped and everything would i mean that works terrifically for the illithid but for people who aren't used to it i mean and that's one of the big things that out of the abyss did when they talked about the underdark is it's completely mm-hmm. different you're not used to traversing this so where it's like rocky and uneven for the underdark here it's perfectly smooth and cylindrical it's still gonna be weird yeah anyone's ever been in a fun house when you hit that tube that rotates oh yeah it's just like that except the tube's not necessarily rotating but in your mind it is mm-hmm. so we uh we go through there um and almost hit, die we do mm-hmm. but uh two things that are interesting in there because that's the first time we really dealt with like psionic or psychic attacks heavily mm-hmm. yeah because that's what the oath do and again iconic creatures elder brain yeah if you don't run Illithids, you never run Eldebrain. Significant because of a few things. Um, it was the first time all of us started realizing this really, even though it's foreign, things don't add up. Where are, if this is such if this thing is if this thing that looks very important has no guards, where are the guards? What's going on? We are all very tired, physically, mentally, of playing in this scenario because it's been such a strain on us mentally. Our characters are very well tapped, and now we're in front of an Eldebrain and. Logically, none of us know what the heck this thing is. Player-wise, a few of us do. Combat doesn't sue, but not in the sensation of you're here to beat this thing with minimal resources. This is strictly a, what are you doing to survive? Yes, so this was an example of a combat that you were designed to lose. And at some point in time, you know, you basically have to realize, oh, hey, this is going to slide the wrong way no matter which way we, no matter what we do. So at some point we need to pick up our fallen comrades and get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and, and that's that's something that a lot of times you know most people don't include in their design that you know the other half of uh, in you know charge is retreat. Mm-hmm. Again, penny head, mm-hmm. penny tails. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was again a, a slight hysterical moment because I think the only two people left at one point was um, you and Arlen. Arlen. Yeah, Arlen. Everyone else was down. Yeah, and that was, and again that was even though. The only reason I think I was even still up was just personally was just a couple of lucky rolls and the fact that I had a high hit point value. Mm-hmm. So we get away, um, and we do get back in with a gith. That was, this was the time thing. So I you just, escape I out of the room, yeah, and the f- mind traveler is coming the other way with a whole bunch of other gith, right. and you're, and at the time, of course, you assume that you're dead, but no, they're like, right. okay, you know, we're we're here to take out the illithids. You know, and again, illithids yeah. and githyanki are always at war. Yes. And so, um, yeah, they're like, you know, you're pathetic. We'll heal you up and send you on your way. But they don't heal us up completely. It's no. like a here, go. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Why is that significant? Because now the significant combat occurs. Your players, by uh, th- by story play, and again, this is a great example of taking power, you know, decently powerful people and weakening them to make this set the stage 
for a difficult combat because your players are beat up, because most of their spells are gone, because they're going to be relying heavily on what equipment they still have. Mm-hmm. We run back into Varus. Yes. Except this time, for whatever reason, Varus is not Varus as we knew of the Dark Elf. Now he's a Drider. Yes. He did something very, very naughty, or just because she was feeling particularly fun and vindictive, Loth turned him into a Drider and gave him some <laughs> organic armor in the shape of spiderweb family members of, of Adri's. Mm-hmm. And we now had to fight Varus with a bunch of Dark Elves sneeringly cheer on, ha ha, the fight. They basically are prodding Varus forward uh, to his Mm. own death. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, then possibly also taking the family members. And I don't know if everyone's connected the dots. It's like, okay, so Varus has been turned into a Drider. So that means he had to appear before Lolth. And family members were tied to his back. So that means that pretty much that whole family compound had to be raided by the Queen's guards. Or they were turned over because dad who is dad and mom who are very much in that lifestyle mm-hmm. know where the weaklings are and they short up their own walls. Yeah. But we if, don't know. Yeah, But if you remember, both the dad and Varus were acting above their station mm-hmm. as males in this. Oh, that's this. true. Yeah environment or in this society so i mean again this is the history of the drow that yeah. adri did not realize yeah completely. and, and adri or i'm sorry not adri jesse yeah and and uh adri never actually asked her sister what happened and I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe in towards the end of the campaign having the sister sit down and actually explain what happened which will be a, a nice little final story because i know i mean I know, I know from listening to things that she you know how anti-drow society adri mm-hmm. is so it'll be interesting yeah um, but we're not going to get into that because we don't want to ruin that. But yep. uh, we do rescue the the sister and the brother. We kill Varus. There is a um, either a, a use of a fog spell or something that obscures vision. Yeah, yeah. You use use the the, um, the fog spell. Yeah, to, yeah. To which get. is what I mean. It's one of the few times that Arlen cast a spell that was immediately useful mm-hmm. and that is often overlooked. And he had a great use for that. And we this is where we shot the rapids and then Lulz first two. Marks came Marks in. Marks came yeah. in. Um, this was a great example of doing well on a skill check and then having the DM say, well, here, we're going to throw this in just to create more problems. Yep. And actually, this was I not was, to kill us, per se. It I've, was just to cre- keep the constant threat of we're not going to make yeah. it. The players at the table, at least in my opinion, because I know I was feeling this, I was so mentally drained at this point mm-hmm. trying to survive this onslaught of continuous thing. And in the table, from, from this point of view, Michael, the dungeon master, is running one thing after another at us. I mean, even oh, yeah. though it's taking place over a couple of weeks um, playtime, when we're at this table, it's very stressful and intense. Keep going, please. Yeah. But yeah, and, and then the other fun thing about this was um, this the whole the whole running the rapids was eventually to get you split up from your pets. Mm-hmm. So we, we could do the voyage home and actually run run a couple of episodes as the pets, which was kind of fun. Yeah, and I think Arlen, that was the first time, I think he finally unlocked uh, and he was trying to set up other magic circles. And I think that's how we finally got out yes. of the Dark. And God, I, I, it was such a relief mentally for, as a player, um, at least for me, to get out of that mm-hmm. foreign thought because I was just tapped at that point. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's sort of like um, like in a, a, a really involved video game when you get to the teleportation circle or the whatever, you know, the world knot or what have you, and you're able to just escape at that point in time. You're like, oh, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. So we get back to um, Porta Magnum. We get rid of the uh, fake phylactery. We start hearing rumors of problems with Excalibarium Calice again. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear, I think, is where we s- split the party again. 
Yes. We are running two, technically at this point, two stories. We have our main characters, and then we have the secondary characters, which are mostly almost all tabaxi. Yes. So for me, I switched to a paladin myself with uh, Black Crispin, um, with Adri and Arlen, and then uh, Moon and Gray, and then Jade steps in with Craval and the rest of the party. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it's it's hard for me to keep it all straight for our listeners, so definitely go back and look at it. The episode you're looking for is Saber Rattling and yeah. Iskabar and Khalees. But it's significant because now we're, we're adding and taking away different resources and different play styles. Yeah, and, and what the... Well, a couple things. One thing, um, I told myself I wasn't going to get you all involved in a war and do the whole war arc and all that, and then I'd like, no, this is the perfect time to do that. So I, I kind of broke my own promise. But the other thing was, I kind of, as we're going along, realized it's like, okay, we've had everybody's um, everybody's backstory come out, except no one, and I know one, no one's is going to come out. Um, but poor Arlen, he had his come out in like the sixth episode or something like that, and here we are 200 episodes later, and he's, I mean, granted, he's had the whole... I don't, I don't think he minded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think he minded more that you brought it back. You know, he's had the whole Orlana arc and all yeah. that. But, um, it's, it, you know, you just hate it when, like, something happens and then you've just got this character hanging around in a movie for the rest of the movie that, you know, it's like, okay, they, they played their part early on. And uh, so I wanted to come back around and revisit Arlen and, and put him back in the spotlight. So that's when I started thinking about you know having him his his blowing up becoming imminent and you and then having to go there but at the same time I want to create the tension of oh no but you've got to go there mm-hmm. and so that's when you had to split the party and bring in the tabaxi and half of you went to the war and half of you went to save Ireland but in this case at least with our story it, it was uh it was actually kind of a nice welcome break because in some ways we end up stepping in the shoes of our other friends here mm-hmm. at the table yeah. um I had I got to learn what it really is, how difficult yeah. it can be to be a paladin. I'm not the exact same paladin, but still same constrictions. And, and you notice when I gave you the Tabaxi characters, they were almost all exactly the opposite of what you were playing, right? Um, um, in I the think, main character. Unfortunately for me, because um, I don't, th- I wouldn't have had Black Crispin because I didn't, I, you didn't actually give me Black. I because of my own scheduling, I think I had to yeah. create Black, so I got to pick what I wanted. So I think I I, I missed that little fortune, which I actually do regret. It that would have been mm-hmm. interesting to see what you would have handed me as the opposite of Craval which I can only imagine would have been some sort of like wimpy little kitty wizard or actually in some ways, maybe burnt spoon. Yeah, maybe. Um, But anyway, so uh, we get to have some fun with different characters on different times. Um, This was probably recording wise, the most confusing and frustrating because like, like, which character am I today? Yes. (laughs) But they were all fun. Um, Feats worthy of a story. Um, I think that's when you gave us the book written by the assistant of Lowell. That was the second thing that you wrote that was so rich that I just Actually, enjoyed that, reading. Um, that comes around after you get done with all of this, and then oh. Jade Claw joins you. Okay, my bad. So, um, what's feats worthy of a story? Um, this is when you actually did your when we're on the way down to the uh, down to the war itself, and you stopped and you uh, investigated the skulls, all the skulls in your bag. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I forget about that. Yeah, because Craval has a everyone always looks at me like I'm a psychopath, which maybe I am. But um, <laughs> I have a bag full of skulls and Craval because Craval uses them as trophies, which is part mm-hmm. of the culture, but also yeah. as a way means a resource. Um, to this point, I know I have four. I think I don't have the book in front of me. I know Varus is one of them. Uh, one of the spore druids is the second one. I forget who the other two are, but they're all significant. Oh, and I actually <laughs> I have a half demon skull in there too, but yeah. we won't. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. So, but anyways, um, yeah, so we then, use that, try to use that yeah. resource, try to give Adria a little bit of maybe closure, which she doesn't actually want, which was fine. Um, on the other side of that story, at that same time, our group meets up with the Starbucks pun. 
the uh, Bitter Brew of Detectives. Yes. So actually, and what might be best is 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 to kind of follow each of these storylines individually. Um, so yeah, if, if we go with the um, okay, I think I, I think I got that group going with Arlen. Um, yeah, you uh, take off for Kalesque, mm-hmm. and it's there that you find um, that the coffee plantation is actually on the other side of the hill where the warm current right. warms up that side of the mountain. And they are so protective, protective of it. Yes. yes. I mean, it, I they, mean, it's behind a wall. And then so. Yeah. And um, so then um, at that point in time, you have to go and, and um, go and work your way up there. Yeah. And we that also, was all sorts of fun. It we was had to figure a way to get you past that wall. Yeah, but and which we did, which was folks. We met a we met an um, Nissian a again. rogue. Nis, yeah. No, this was Nissian introduced us to yes. the halfling. Yeah, mm-hmm. who was like, oh, it's a thief who had a secret, mm-hmm. not a bad one, but he ended up being the son of the person in charge. Yes, so he's he's the the uh, the Baron's son, and it, it occurred to me just one time at some point because because a lot of times you know you'll you'll find out like you know the uh, the government has their own secret police but i was thinking about it if you had a thieves guild the last thing you'd want as a government was to have that thing running you know yeah. un, out of your control so of course if you had the ability to do that and you, you, and you want the and thieves you know, guild no matter under how your hard control, you try yeah. you're gonna have one so why try to why try yeah. to keep it out when you can just be part of the yeah. control and so it turns out that whoever is first in line to be the baron the baron's you know son um, is also the default head of the thieves yeah. guild, or, or or as or as he put it when when he left, is like, what's the point of having a thieves guild if you're not in control of it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just another way of getting fiends. But yeah. which is something which when I look back on it may have been a missed opportunity for a potential something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we get through there with the help. Get to the uh, sanctuary for the dark elves are mm-hmm. escaping, uh, which is in this case the bean fields, um, and yeah. you come up with a great a uh, a great storytelling way of how they pollinate the, the beans, which is with spiders. And you know how I came up with that? You told me once, but tell me again. I had a dream when we when you guys were down in the underdark. It was also intense for me. You as had well a dream, as you. and I remember I was having a dream one night about the drow, and one of the drows, um, you know pulls a spider out of his pocket it's on his hand and he climbs over to this rather dull brown looking flower and it's you know it was crawling on and i'm realizing it's pollinating it and then i woke up what a great dream though yeah and so then i'm like oh and i was actually going to use it as part of the underdark thing but then it occurred to me that it would fit much better here this is where the nectar is where they get their sweetener from that's non-caloric right and so, you know, it worked uh, perfectly. Like, why would they want the drow up at these coffee plantations? Well, they can do the work at night. That can't be done during the day because the flowers only open at night. Yep. And which was a great story of this, especially since the dark elves work best at night. But what's also happening during this time, because we're, you know, we're on the tail end of Adri's backstory, is that Arlen, character-wise, because you went back to him, mm-hmm. is constantly losing control of his wild magic. Yep. So that is a huge threat. It ended up being a little underwhelming in the actuality of it all because he just happened to roll with things that didn't do anything yeah. hugely destructive. Turned like, into a potted plant. You know, turned the, blue. Exactly. We were waiting for him to explode. Feathers, I think he only yeah. exploded once. But by exploding, and, and that's when he got effect, back to the tower, too. which was hysterical. Um, so, but that leads into this, which is the pale and slimy foes. We start realizing that there's something wrong in the area, and we voluntarily go look for it because we can't get into the tower quite yet. Mm-hmm. 
um, we have to wait for the tower masters to receive us. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the one of one of the uh, sorcerers of the oh, shore. Yep. Is missing, and so you have to go looking for him. And yeah. as a reminder, Sources of the Shores is a Easter egg slash nod toward Wizards, Wizards of, of the, the Coast. Coast. Yes, which I think only half the table got at the time. But oh, I, since you said it, I was like, wow. I yeah. mean, it, it was it was not nearly as bad as the Crushers, but it was still up there. But I I, I remember Owen having to explain it to a couple yeah, of people. It was so, funny. Yeah. Um. So we go looking for the head, um, which is all. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. We start looking for the missing teacher. Yes. The master, the missing master of the tower, who happens to be a sorcerer. Um, with uh, by this point, it's kind of I've made it very hard to kind of screw up perception for Kerval, which may have been a curse. But we we're able to track down into a uh, uh, not an underground because that would be a miscomer, but more of a recessed cave that is on the coast. Mm-hmm. There we were our meet our next iconic creature, um, the which which is a not which I'm going to before you say it, which is when we go all the way back to the foe with the baleful stare had been your original idea for the guardian of that phylactery. Yeah. And so, um, this, this was the, uh, sea ruler who, um, you know, ruled without even a care. And originally it was going to be a band of pirates on the coast. So this is why it was in a cave and there's a ship in the cave. Cause very uh, goonyish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was going to be, um, you know, they would have basically been had, cave harbors for their for, and they would be raiding off the shore um and uh but anyways yeah the aboleth was supposed to be that that phylactery guardian back yeah. then so, so but it, uh a, a fun and interesting combat ensues um it's important to note that like, keep in mind that when we're doing this all of us are still very much mentally weird from being in the underdark this is mm-hmm. this is coming right after that so not a not a lot of terribly creative ideas occurred here only because we were just so mentally tired um the combat was interesting. Uh, I remember that a couple of times. It was like, okay, you're diseased. And it was like, no, I'm not. Why? Because I'm a monk. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a paladin. <laughs> but it was just iconic because aboliths are one of the more dangerous creatures you can run into in any situation. Um, we go through with it. I want to say... I want to say Adri blew it up. I mean, literally. Like, scattered mm-hmm. it. And then we pulled the body on shore. Turns out the sorcerer is there, but he's being turned into one of these faceless zombie-like people. Which well, is, their skin gums cold and clammy from the, the right, contagion of the aboleth. Of the aboleth. Yeah. So we find out that at this point that Matt, who's running a cleric, can mm-hmm. cure it, but it's going to take a series of days to do yes, it. Yes, you can only use one, one a day. day. Which, is, which is not necessarily a bad thing, I think. Um, it inadvertently opens up time for dialogue and, and mm-hmm. interactions which kind of occurred kind of didn't um but we get it all situated but also out. put another feather in our cap uh, not a feather cap but another se- se- uh, stressor on it because you know ireland's gonna blow up at any time and now we gotta mm-hmm. wait days down here i don't know i think one of the chokes is well what's goes the worst well ireland blow up and take out all this and be good yeah. <laughs> but we don't obviously want to lose ireland but thinking things work in our, our favor, we get everyone healed up. Um, the family's having a little bit of issues you being outside because they used to be underground. There's a great moment there where Adri reassures them. We go to the tower, though, and that's where Arlen learns and figure, finds out that the spirit of the Mad Mage lives within him, literally. Yeah, and, and, and you're not real sure. You just know that the, the, ma- the um, magic is still inside him, mm-hmm. and... Um, but they, they think they can force it out by using a series of lightning strikes and, uh, which will like almost kill him or maybe. And, uh, 
and but then it turns out that yeah some avatar of the mad mage um is still within him whether that was the chaos creating that image or whether just the fact that he had maybe invested a part of himself in the chaotic magic when he was um you know infecting these people with it that you know, a little piece of him you know existed in there uh, was never really quite clear, but yeah. So the the mad mage appears for one last time, and you have to. Take this him had out. a good game mechanic because we were also fighting those uh, floating star creatures again. Mm-hmm, yeah. So they blew up when they were killed. Yeah. Which was another th- danger and threat. But the other problem was we were fighting on top of this tower. The tower did not. We were all literally on top of said tower, yeah. which meant there were no walls. The other problem with the explosion was a knockback effect. Now yeah. the tower wasn't very tall, as we learned from some of our characters who were fast, yeah. but. You had getting knocked off was a very real threat, which meant you had to spend a round or two getting back up, and yep. that happened every time we killed something. So it was it was again another mechanic that you thought up that was great for creating a dangerous and challenging effect. Other than I have a lot of hit points, I will now nuke you. Mm-hmm. So um, we get that out of there um, and save Arlen and save Arlen, which is important. Mm-hmm. Which is important, but, but meanwhile, then, but then when you're carting away. Arlen realizes he has no magical powers. Yeah, I think that that came up. Did that come up right away? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he, you, you went to go and and do the uh, magic circle, and he's like, "That's right, darn, <laughs> I don't have any magic powers." And so, yeah, you had to take uh, you had to take Donia's airship back to. to That's right, and but and that would also create some role play moments for which is good amongst the characters, you know, person to person teasing, but also another challenge that now the party has to encounter mm-hmm. uh, the one and only arcane caster we have now has no arcane yeah but meanwhile back at port of magnum and it, you know when when i originally came up with the split storyline i was thinking about like every week um going back and forth and then decided oh that would just be too too chaotic to try to keep track of so you started out with the um group going to war and then we did arlen's story and then we went back to the group going to with one little week in between just to kind of punctuate it to to let you know that there's still that other storyline happening ironically what ended up happening as a uh, side effect of doing this is in some ways our parties were better balanced when we split them amongst the two the Mm -hmm. two because they were both the same level yeah. Um, was that by design or is that yes. like, okay. Mm-hmm. So we ended up having, being able to handle some things better than we did last time. Um, we ended up going back to port, the group at Port of Magnum, which at that time was Creval. Was Jade here for this? I don't remember. No, she was not. Creval, it was uh, Creval, Jesse Sorcerer, whose name I'm not, I want to say it's Sora, but it's not right. Um, it's, it's not red. It's, um, it was uh, Sunrise. No, Sunrise. Yes. No one. Uh, gray fog, mm-hmm. I think, and then Creval. Yeah. So Creval and the party, and more importantly, Cotter. Oh no, it's Cotter. Mm-hmm. Gray fog was with the other party. Cotter is told that there is a mounting army approaching from Escobar and Calise. Yes, you, you guys are we headed have down no the idea hill, why. and you have to run a a uh, check post, and you Which realize, and you realize that there's there's an army approaching. Yeah. So we sound the horns of war, as it were, um, which actually creates an interesting part for me, which I wasn't expecting at all. I was expecting this to be another Cotter thing, which was um, we don't have an army was a, was the complaint. And I remember Bryce just sitting there like, what? We don't have an army where we have guards. You know, they, they depend on their wall. They depend on their walls and their wealth to protect them. In this case, which is probably I'm assuming was planned for because this was your world. Yeah. 
how do you threaten that? Just bring an army because they don't have one. Yeah. And and really, I mean, when you think about it in, in medieval times, um, that was mainly the case. There wasn't really a standing army for most places. They, they would have some um, military troops. But uh, by and large, when it came to an army, you would just gather up conscripts and put weapons in their hands and throw them out in the field. Yeah. So, uh, but it was more than that, too. For at least for we would later find out with Baron Colise that through a series of uses of, because I'm still a barbarian, I could use spirit sense. Mm-hmm. I could, so I was sending my owl to look at things. We find out that your Torg zombies are making a reappearance. Yes. Well, you know, the, the, the things aren't quite right thing is like, you know, you're only seeing a couple of uh, campfires out there. So it's like, well, they must not have a lot of people. But then you go out there and you realize there are huddles of troops out here just sitting in the dark. Why are they sitting in the dark? It's like they not cold. Yeah, exactly. So um, it turns out not only torque zombies, but also undead. Did you plan for me saying, hey, what about me using the Dragonborn? Did you plan yeah, for that? Was, was that a possibility that was, in your that head? was something I was kind of nudging you towards the whole time. Okay. So use the, because we had a long time ago, we got those. Uh, uh, well, actually. The, in, the, the funnily named Rocky Talkies, but yes. they're stones ascending. Yeah. But the nice thing was you thought of that before I had to give you the nudge. Yeah. So it, it was great because, and in fact, the, my big worry was that you would call them in too soon. My concern wasn't that. My concern was that Bryce would insist on not doing it because yeah. he was kind of hemming that way. Mm-hmm. Being a foreign army invading, I said you already have a foreign army invading. Yeah. Um, so we end up doing that, and they they, they make it down. Um, we have combat. This was interesting combat because combat was split. There was one on one combat, like traditionally table mm-hmm. versus creatures. Um, that was the Baroness with the three skulls and the Revenants, which we actually handled yeah. better mostly, but also created the closest party wipe. Yes. Yeah. Um, that came down to initiative order. Right. And um, which, thankfully, that was the time the dice were not against us. Yes. <laughs> it could have been the other way around. We could have lost, again, I think at that point, three people and an NPC, yep. which was And the, the trouble I had, and one of the reasons I didn't want to do uh, you guys go to war thing is like, I mean, you can back up, um, you know, omniscently above the battlefield and like run like a board game mm-hmm. with tokens yeah. and, and things like that. For But that's not really good audio. Um but how do you represent otherwise this whole thing where you've got a line of thousands of people and they're all battling? So basically what it came down to is like, okay, yeah, there's stuff going on, on that side, stuff going on, on this side, but this is what's happening right in front of you guys. So mm-hmm. these, you know, the Torque Zombies, the Revenants, you know, things like that. That's what's happening right in front of you guys. Forget about the stuff over there. There's people fighting there. Forget about the stuff over there. There's people fighting there. This is what's happening in your sphere of influence. Yeah. So we have that combat, and I won't bother going too much because we've talked about it in the past, but the other side of that, the dragonborn are signaled, the dragonborn come in, mm-hmm. the armies clash, Samash is there leading the charge. Yep. Two interesting things happened there. One, but let's touch on the first one. Is that how you plan on, plan on that happening? That was that, that was no what... No dice roll, if, just if, a... If you had not thought of that and contacted your sister to bring the dragonborn down i would have basically found a way to prompt you that mm-hmm. hey you know you've got your own army that would be really nice to have in your back pocket just in right. case maybe you should have them up the hill okay the second part of that which i wasn't expecting was did you it was just like hey i'm gonna do this just to see what happens but when samash i think called me king mm-hmm. was that plan did you planted that either way or yes. is that was just like some inspiration because all of a sudden um, what's been happening is that creval has gone from just being if you think about it the barbarians have been in the mountains forever Mm -hmm. living the same life the same day the same seasons and in each in their turn in their order 
um, for hundreds and thousands of years, and not much has changed. Yeah. Self-imposed exile. Yeah. Um, now all of a sudden you've got the one dragonborn that has gone out, and he's brought in you know people from the lowlands, and you know the, he basically was the arbiter that brought in the the uh, grain that saved them from starving. So all of a sudden you've got one dragonborn who's now sticking head and shoulders above everybody else this is not a situation the dragonborn have seen maybe ever you know not not since the days of the great heroes and so you know the the uh, uh honored mothers have been ruling their clans and all of a sudden now they've got somebody that is you know taking all the attention on, on themselves um, unintentionally in this case but at the same time you know, now the uh, dragonborn are kind of finding someone to rally around. So this is, it's upsetting the entire structure of the dragonborn tribes. Which, of course, as a player, I'm totally unaware of uh, because I haven't had to go back up there to deal with anything exactly. other than a sketchy uh, spell or a mate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do the combat, the, the we have the honored dead. Um, I don't, I think I caught you off guard with that one. Um, yes, that was great. I mean, uh, just out of the blue, and you said you actually made up that whole poem uh, on the way. Yeah, I was sitting there uh, like at the at the actual I was just, episode. I had seen a couple of different videos of Maori doing chants for honoring people mm-hmm. and whatnot. I wasn't about to try to do some sort of chant at the table because yeah. I I just would not have been able to get it out. So I common that's why I made a point of like no one probably understands it because they're speaking draconic. It was it was a cop out for me having to try to chant, but I really I just kind of. I had an inspiration from something, but I, I decided to make that chant. And then I thought, well, it makes kind of sense that when, you know, chemically speaking, that there should be some sort of reaction if you, mm-hmm. enter, you know, poison with fire. Yeah. So I thought well, how great it would be just to have like a pyre because it would make sense. Yeah. And the pyre to make, to honor their ancestors and the honored dead. So that, I'm, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad it came and, out. And we well. established early on that the dragonborn, um, they don't bury, you know, bodies. Ser- ser- you know cremate their dead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another way of enriching that, and then we come back and we do commendations. I think that was the most funny thing because that's where we find out Cotter's going to become the next Baron of mm-hmm. Port Magnum. We're all like, oh, that makes sense. One of you guys got to take over Xperia Calise. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that created a lot of interesting byplay between person to person because well, which one else is going to take it? And <laughs> poor Jet. Not it. Not it. Yeah. One, two, three, not it. But <laughs> just like, huh? Oh, okay, you'll do it. Which hasn't happened yet, yeah. but it was it was again that unintentional comedic moment that came up. But this, yeah. was that again that that reward was was that the intention of that whole story arc? Uh, well, or that was, was just what, just an organic creation. That was what was going to happen at the end. And just you know, as I'm thinking about it, it's like okay, you guys just okay. So the Baroness has apparently um, been in contact with the undead. Maybe it's a low all. Seems like very likely that it's a low all because you know everything undead seems to revolve around him. And now she um, is on, you know, is, is dead, and seems like pretty much all of their family line is gone. So yeah. who are you going to take over? I mean, or is it just going to be a warder, or is it going to be a, uh, uh, you know, the, a free for all, and somebody's going to take over the city? And I thought about it, it's like, here we have five heroes of the realm. Why wouldn't they ask one of them to step up and, yeah. and take over? And it also, it's also, you know, we talked about this last interview. This part two of the interview is that, especially with certain things like case in point, uh, the uh, cleric, the paladin being the now the highest people of their particular orders because of just mm-hmm. how this played out. If you have someone that has that has ties to that much power, ha- being f- either having getting one of them 
or the people they consider family on your side is a great way of making sure you're not going to get taken over by somebody you may not be able to stop. Yeah. After the threat's done, when you're already at your weakest. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting. There was, a, there was a couple of things there. I don't know if that was at all in your thought process, but I, I just I liked how I was like, man, that's a great way of playing chess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, it, it was unintentional tactical thinking. I think it's like, um, oh, my God. Oh, oh okay. Wait, wait. Check. Balance. Quick. Wait. Yes. I, ah! So was that going through your head when we were doing this? Well, the, the thing that was going through my head is like, I didn't want it to be just like, you know, the end of Lord of the Rings where it's like everybody just kind of goes off into their nice little storyline. At, at the at the end of this whole thing, I would like each of you to have a handful of things that you're going to do going forward once this menace has been taken care of. And you're going to have to choose between those. And sometimes the choices are going to be as compelling and it's going to be difficult to make that choice. So one of those was to put in the... Baron ship. Yeah. So that was one. Um, I forget what I want to say. It's the Marshall badge for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, n- nothing that's really played too much into the story yet. The most significant thing is, is Jade arrives with the book. Yep. Um, that at the same time as the gnomes are finally arrived to sell their wares and mm-hmm. there's some hyster- hystericals there, but they also bring the gnomish historian with them. Yeah. Which is important. So between the book and the historian, we have an idea of where to go for one of the clues that yeah. we weren't sure where to go. And with and with the book, you guys are kind of running up against that one. And, and we could have done, yeah, another trip to the uh, library or finally go over to the Tabaxi Library. But it just it seemed so much easier um, and cleaner if we just had you know the illuminating manuscript just end up in in your in your possession there because the Tabaxi found it out there in in the caravan, mm-hmm. and uh, so that I mean that just instead of having to do another, because we've already done several library trips, instead of having to revisit that and it was like, okay, here, here's, here's the, uh, the thing that's going to kick off the, the next second, you know, section of the story. Okay. So we, the kickoff does occur. Um, one of the things that's important to note is that now we, our groups are back together. We've uh, separated out the tabaxi characters from the normal role playing. Um, we all, hodgepodge blah 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 keep everyone up to date we find out arlen has no powers which is the biggest fear we go on a small shopping trip because now we have because we've cut with the battle with the small war with them that we have some goodwill some cash buy a very interesting staff that eventually sorzak will get Mm -hmm. but for now it just gives arlen something to use something anything um and when i stripped arlen's powers basically what i decided was that every time that he would have something kind of traumatic or dramatic happen that that would snap the next level of spells into being, yeah. you know, he would, it would kind of break. Which the, un- uh, unfortunately we took on, or at least some of us took on to being beat the hell out of Arlen. <laughs> um, the halfway house, that was the house that was being built along the way. Yes. Right? Yeah, and, so. and that's actually me um, trying to cover up a screw up. I did a while back. It's like, why would there not be an inn halfway between yeah. each of the things that should have been one in the middle of the forest between Excalibarium Calise and Waterfall city, you know, what was interesting though, is that was the first time we started really seeing that what we're doing is beginning to work. Mm-hmm. The fogs, are clearing the fungus are dying back yep the original life is beginning to slowly surge forward again yep um we get the halfway house that is where jade meets a loyal he cannot yep. be able to imprison us but he imprisons her and it makes the escape while we're trying to help her but then cotter dispels the illusion yeah. for the first time ever and you guys realize oh hey 
we're powerful enough to actually yeah. make a dent here. There may be some hope after all. Right. So we go through there. Um, we find a farm. We send them back in because they're having issues with the fog that is now yeah. still here. So we know we're going the right. Now we're learn Now we're using the fog as a way of focal pointing where we need to go. Yeah. It's the first and, time in this game we've done that. And the and the farm aid one was really spectacular because here's another bit of Noan's character evolving. Uh, yes. He actually gives them money to, to get. They don't they don't have any resources. I mean, so they mm. they can't even move from their ruined household. And he gives them money to, to yeah. get back to He uh, starts Paramount. becoming very... Um, Altruistic. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was another one where a monk... It's a monk trait where monks give up all forms of wealth except for what they can get on their yeah. own. So that's for some reason. Kind of, and actually, if I think all of a sudden the table are kind of looking at him like he's lost his mind. Not not me. And he was like, now what's going on? We're, we're expecting like a shoe to drop because this is so out of character for Matthew mm-hmm. to be playing no one as. Um, yeah. So we eventually... Find the gnome home slash the volcanic cleft. Yes. The gnome home, the very best yes. experience ever, right? It actually wasn't bad. It wasn't yeah. nearly as horrifying. I mean, obviously, we're about, we'll touch on what the most horrifying part was. Um, but it wasn't that bad. And it, I liked it. I liked it personally because there was a lot of um, car- uh, storyline things just to find. Mm-hmm. Little, I mean, they weren't going to make us wealthy, but they were neat. We found the Steins, mm-hmm. um, the Einstein, yes. and the whatnot. We got some old arrowheads. It, it was just, just something. It was just like a little It was like a little Indiana Jones moment where you're not getting anything really expensive. It's just neat because it's old stuff. Yeah. Uh, we run into the pun with the Crushers, Rock, yeah. uh, Wesley, and Beverly, the Rock Crushers. Um, Star Trek, if you don't get that. We run into that little uh, flying drone that puts mm-hmm. out a force field, found a creed away. I mean, a lot of it was just getting trying to outsmart the gnomes of the past until we run into what we think is another Drider, which, again, keep in mind for our listeners, this is not happening that far after we got out of the Underdark. But thankfully is not. What we end up finding is probably the greatest gnomish mind lost to the gnomes that they never knew about. Yeah. Um, I don't remember her name, but she had the lower half of a mechanical spider because of a run-in with... It was basically a conveyance. The, yeah. Uh, you know, essentially which kind of a, a spider wheelchair. I mean, because I was thinking, right. like, would, would the gnomes create a wheelchair? No, they wouldn't. They'd, they'd create, like a multi-legged yeah. thing for getting around. I with. mean, in, in my mind, it's like, it's like a hee type of yeah. moment, yeah. but you know, it probably was for her. She was by herself for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But actually I re- was really unhappy that you encountered her right at the end of one of our play sessions. Cause if you listen to the very end of that episode and I, you know, it said it's, it's a spider from the waist down and a gnome mm-hmm. from the waist up. You just hear, um, Jesse going, no, 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 no. And, but then, you know, we, you know, it was the end of the play session. We didn't get together till the next week or the week after or whatever it was. In the intervening time, cooler minds had prevailed. And they're mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, driders aren't half gnome. So yeah. I, I, th- I think the, uh, the, um, again, sheer panic m- had, had dissipated by that time. Mental fatigue is a big thing here. Mm-hmm. And then, and, uh, which for the pressure that we're, that the story is trying to convey is just a natural current thing, I would think. But uh, more importantly, she gives us a lot of great items. Um, the uh, bacon of happiness, mm-hmm. the jolly poppers, the, jala- the jalapenos, jalapenos the, the bacon of hope. The bacon of hope. Um, and then uh, later we'll get a couple out of them. We'll do that in a second. Heel biscuits. Uh, heel biscuits. But then she tells us about the dragon. That's how mm-hmm. she got hurt. So she shows us the cleft that she had sealed up, a couple good strikes with a hammer with Caval reopens it up, and we start exploring. We know we're looking for and a dragon. And there's a trap on the other side, which turns out to be the board from Mousetrap. Is that what that was? That was, yeah. Oh, okay. I totally yeah, forgot the, about the that boot one. kicked the thing, yeah, and then yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah, trap yeah. came down. Yeah. We, I remember, because I, I think she was with us, like, is there any others? Like, no, I think that's it. Are you sure? No. <laughs> Great. 
but there weren't. Um, and then we eventually got into another classical dragon fight, this time with a red dragon. But the hitch was, and again, this is a good example of this because normally in, in the the normal explanation of dragons, this is not what occurs. So we get in a fight with a dragon. We make this great plan. No one completely ignores it, but still manages to keep to the, the, the theme of it. Mm-hmm. We strike down this dragon and we all sit there with a pregnant pause of that was way too easy. Yeah. Was that entirely, was that completely the idea of it or did yes. you, at yeah. the last it, second it, it realize, was, hmm. it was, it was really satisfying when there was just that quiet at the table and everyone just started going, wait, it can't be that, it can't, mm-hmm. couldn't be that easy. And yeah, I mean, just, you could just see the dawning realization that something was up going yeah. around the table. So the real ancient red dragon comes out, which is much larger. We're all realized we're in trouble because we have expended resources to kill the uh, Adultish, youngish yep. mm-hmm. dragon. Um, I pull out a wild Hail Mary, which works for me at least, yes. while everyone runs away. The interesting thing that occurs here, storyline and thematically, which came back, was you're like, well, I expect you guys to loot the the horde that was, that was obviously right there in front of you, and all of a sudden, like, you gave us no time. It was death, here comes the big dragon. Yep, and, and that was by design as well. Was it? it, because- it, you know, it, 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 it was a... A outside possibility that you would have yeah. thought uh, to loot the horde, um, but we well we did because with again locate object we were able to find we got the, what mm-hmm. we really needed which was the phylactery. Interesting thing that did occur there was at this point because we kind of touched on it through and by all means go back and listen it's funnier than heck. Arlen does have his magical abilities at this point, but yes. not enough to really help. So he spirits away with the paladin, the monks, and at this point the tabaxi just haul buns and run. And we realized just how slow Craval is <laughs> compared to all of that. Because um, everyone's been slowly speeding up over time just because. Yeah. And movement, is not, Well, yeah. two monks with movement speed. Uh, Tabaxi can d- dash yeah. Yeah. as a free action once or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then have to rest. Brings him. about a lot of interesting conversation about well, how fast can you go in one round? Yeah. <laughs> um, you made a really great call, I thought because we've talked about it, where the dragon breathed into a tunnel mm-hmm. and instead of only going X amount of feet, now went X amount of feet further because of the sheer volume of fire and yep. a funnel effect. Um, and I it was funny because the Tabaxi thought she was safe was the one that ended up being cooked. Yes. <laughs> we get out, uh, a, cla- a unexpected dragon versus dragon battle occurs. You bring in my uh, the mate to mm-hmm. Craval, which was an interesting part. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I had a preening moment. They're like, that's right, <laughs> that's my girlfriend. Um <laughs> We get away from there and get back to, once again, Porta Magnum via a circular spell. Because I think at this point, Arlen, just from the sheer shock, everything gets all his powers back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this get was the, the final thing to, to shake him out of it. Then comes what's probably the cringiest moment is when you went to the Valley of the Pegasi and realized, no, it's Pegasi. Your writing is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> But it was fun. It was a fun skills challenge. We end up getting on our wild hogs with wings, like a la, a la motorcycles. We get up above, and there comes something. We're again, once again, foreign. and actually, the Pegasi um, were the genesis of that. Is there was a scout in the scout troop that was telling us about the the great and wonderful Pegasi, and I'm like. I'm going to put that in my D&D game eventually. I was just thinking, I thought you got it from the old uh, screensavers when they would have pigs with flies or toast with the wings yep, that nope, would go nope. by. They were so popular yep. for a while. Um, here's where everything goes south for us, even though I know it's not your intention, because our roles are horrible and we don't have the skills to do this. We try deception at the gates. We try to role play our way through this to get this other phylactery. And what ensues instead is a fight for survival and uh, the actual death of no one uh, or darn near death of no one. 
uh, we meet, we hit his back, we finally hit Noan's backstory, find out his dad is not a major archdemon, he's just a middle manager who's trying to create and, more. And once again, when I got the backstory six years ago, I made that whole storyline up and then just the ensuing stuff in between it's like oh wow <laughs> this is this is really this is going to be a, a big comeuppance when we finally get here just the way yeah, and, and the interesting thing him. to i remember we talked about this i'm going to mention it now everything that we're about to talk about happened if you're talking about game time within the span of about 12 hours it wasn't we didn't even spend the night yeah um so it's important to say that because we were using skills or at times we we're using abilities but we had no way we had we just had no way of charging it Mm-hmm. So um, we are we since we are so horrible at our skill rolls, they have no they know something's up, just not sure what. We end up getting into several fights. No one, or we see a de- uh, a devil that looks dead ringer for no one. So no one decides he's going to go over and talk to it um, via a false wall that he accidentally finds. Then he gets his trapped over there where Loth activates his sig- his insignia on him. And the end result is that when we finally get into there, we see an ice demon standing over an unconscious no one and another battle ensues. Um, we are going from battle to battle to battle to battle. Is this just something you realize is a consequence for horrible rolling? Well, no. Th- like I said, you guys could have um, done anything when you got into the castle. I mean, you could have tried to figure out. Well, I was actually proud door, of like us because we, we did yeah. not. Just, I mean, I, there was part of us could have just done it. We said, you know, what, we're going to assault and go. Mm-hmm. We could have done that. Yeah, I mean, I, I had Murder actually, hobo, whole I, way. I had actually written it up so you could have landed on one of the towers and fought your way in and all that stuff. And actually, we were talking about the the prep uh, the things. This is actually the kind of prep I had to do to prepare for this. This is actually the write up for the castle, and you can see that's done like in the old school D and D ones with the actual yeah. room descriptions laid out and all this, that. This stuff. This is yeah laid out just like you would see a dragon the beast yeah. from Mines of Foundalver. Yeah, so it, you know it would have been it would have been too difficult to uh, to go and and try to make that up on the fly. So mm-hmm. unlike you know where, where I was kind of winging it with the uh, with minimal stuff, and we um, mentioned with that- the uh, with the. Uh, Sea King, this one I had to do the whole thing whole cloth yeah. to uh, to make sure that it stayed and all I, in the same direction. And I think part one of that inter- uh, of our interview, we mentioned that your inspiration for the castle came from the Mad Kings mm-hmm. in yeah. Germany. New Schweizenstein, yeah. Gesundheit. <laughs> Don't ask me to pronounce that, folks. I'm yeah. just not going to. So uh, we get into their um, battle after battle after battle. And I, um, I'm just going to, it really is that. Uh, there is a lot of talking between the players, but it ends up being a, a, a fight for survival. We might Basically as, we a might as battle well, all the way out. Yeah. yeah, we might as well had assaulted the tower at this yeah. point. Um, we end up in a prison. Um, we set some people free after killing them, which creates more of a, it's the only thing we have going for us at that point from our roles is that we do this prison break just to create diversion. We get to the tower. Thankfully, one of us, and this one of us was not me, was actually Bryce, had the concept to keep a third-level spell slot for locate object. Mm-hmm. It takes us right to there. And yet again, another problem. There is a unholy knight there. Yes. Um, a battle in fuse where the holy knight defeats the unholy knight, maybe? Because we don't yeah. still don't know what that knight was. But it, suddenly we went from finding one object to finding several objects. Yes. This is a good example of getting a horde, but limiting your party. Because I think there were six people, but there were nine chests. Exactly. And and, and, just, and if you look, you can see that I wrote down who grabbed which chest. Yeah. Um, so I, so when we finally opened them, we could I actually think the, say what was The most hysterical part for me, just because, again, I, it helps when you're a dungeon master with a small sadistic street, was Matt's just a front from every chest that opened up with just copper pieces in it. 
just as a person, I'm like, that's funny. Matt's like, copper, really? Really? Copper? <laughs> copper? Copper? It was just the chest you guys grabbed. That's what I know. I was like, hey, we, you picked it. <laughs> we picked it, dude. But um, we yeah. did get some. Ha- the, we did get some here, handy yeah, items. Drew grabbed the one with a thousand silver pieces. Matt grabbed two of them. One had a thousand copper pieces, and one had a thousand silver pieces. Um, Jade grabbed the one with two hundred fifty platinum pieces. Cotter grabbed the one with a thousand silver pieces. Um, Arlen grabbed two of them. One each. Both of them had nine hundred gold pieces in each one. So he grabbed some of the good ones. Yeah. And then um, Adri grabbed the one with once again with a thousand copper pieces. But then you also ended up getting all just pretty much all of the uh, all of the magic items. items. Item there's so well. and, and I remember though that so because it's more recent I can remember this. I know we got the uh, Admontine armor there. Mm-hmm. We got the harp. Yeah. We got. The answer, I think, is where we got that. That sword yes, from there. Sword of answering. And I, th- there was this rod that I think Adri got. Yeah, the rod of alertness. Right. So what's what's significant about this is that these are the most powerful items to date that we found in one horde. Mm-hmm. Which made it great was realizing that half of them we couldn't use. Yes. Could and not again, use the harp. Once again, all random yep. items rolled up just because you know that ended up yeah. having a, a small consequence for you down the road, which oh, is yeah. an honest, which We'll talk about that. Let's Huge. get to the storyline first. Actually, no, I think we can. So yeah. the party ends up playing their alternative Dragonborn characters, and we realized, hey, in-game, we did leave items behind, so we all agreed, sure, we'll tell Cynia if mm-hmm. they can use it for your protection, use it. When it's happening is, bomb, 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 or everyone's favorite bar in the story other than this, Ian, yes. who's, why am I, uh, Kavash? Kavash, Kavash, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gets the harp. That, to me, is the biggest consequence of that action. Yes, because when, when, we, when we had the boys' <laughs> night out, little side yeah. quest there, um, I made that encounter deadly because I'm yeah. like, okay, they've got some outclassed magic items they shouldn't have. I better make this really tough. And you still walked all over it. We did and we didn't. Um, and here's why I say that. I knew and he did exactly how I thought he would. He, you gave a character with no intelligence, no wisdom. And he's just playing the harp without any care to what it can really do. As a player, Matt knows exactly what that character yeah. can do. But Kravash wouldn't know. Kravash would, would, whatever. Kravash, yeah. Kravash wouldn't know. And then the armor that, that we ended up giving to Heskin only saved him once. Yeah. And he ended up almost killing himself. Yeah. So it kind of went both ways. Yeah. But that's but again, if you're going to do that with your party where your players can't make it, so you do an alternative, you got to keep in mind that they're going to bleed over effects mm-hmm. or items that can still screw up your world if you're not careful. Yeah. But in this case, it hasn't happened. But that still, having Kravash with that harp is something that, or just having that harp because until that I mean, moment that totally totally turned that entire yeah, counter the, the and i think it was the wall of thorns that did it mm-hmm. um that was the most powerful magical item in the game yeah until recently with the staff of neilon which still hasn't really come into effect but we know we know logically that the staff is more powerful than the harp but not by much yeah. so that's interesting to see if the it's interesting to see what happens with that harp down the road. It also shows you one of the weaknesses of a high magic campaign. Yes. Because, I mean, back in third edition, the MO used to be you go on your first uh, level one outing, then every you go back to town, everybody c- pools their money, and you buy as many magic items for the rogue or something. Or the paladin. Yeah. And then, the, you know, the level two campaign, you just walk all over everything because you send in the paladin who just smashes yeah. everything. The DM can't yeah. hit him. He can hit everything. And when he yeah. does, it's nuking the world. And and then you they, you know, go clean up all the, the currency from that, go back into town and buy magic items for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that, that uh, it can totally unbalance things if you're yeah. not careful. So, but thankfully that has not happened. Um 
one of the things that's happened by design and by player is that even though we have technically, I think everybody has three to four characters in this world now, they do not interact with each other very often. Yeah. Um, splitting the party we just went over mm-hmm. was the first and a really only mesh up of that party. Yeah. And it worked out really well. It really did. I thought. Yeah. It was something I wanted to do with the group is, you know, kind of do, do the, the mix and match there. Yeah. So we get back to Porta Magnum. We destroyed this fake phylactery. At this point, we're pretty sure the one we're after now is going to be fake as well. Um, we'll see. But what happens is the last three items here are proposal and updates, critical roles, and five rings. These are funny because now that the characters have been doing what they've been doing, now the other consequence is coming out. Now they're, no, no, they're notorious or just flat out famous. Yep. We touched on it with Craval and the kingship thing, which I know isn't. I, you don't, I, I just know it's not resolved yet. Um, no, or uh, Arlen is being asked by a couple different places to come teach or exp- mm-hmm. or share his experiences and be a, a powerful wizard. Yeah. This is a farm boy for crying out loud. Yeah. Adri is looking at becoming a baroness, and she never she she hates being in the spotlight, which makes her being a shadow monk that much yeah. better. But now she's being forced into that. Cotter's gonna be the is the heir now to the biggest throne of this world. Yeah. And then you have. Uh, the only person that doesn't have this magnificent thing looming over them so far is Jade. But even Jade is now being, she's bringing, whether she may not realize it or not, she's bringing the backseat of the world. Yeah. What consequences are going to be there because they went out of their way to stay out of hand. But here's Jade just bebopping around. There's only so much fake humaning she can do. Yeah. So uh, all that occurs or creates during proposals and updates. And once and, again, like I said, towards the end of this, I want everybody to have two or three things all really compelling that they all need to do, and they right. have to choose between them when what, we end What up. also occurs here um, is the critical roles, which I think are really great. Uh, it was a great homage to a critical role. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, folks, that's a podcast group, and you're not sure what I'm talking about in regards to this recording, they're if literally cinema. Under, <laughs> yeah, if you're living under a tree, <laughs> under a rock. living under a rock somewhere for the last yeah, four years. Yeah, you haven't heard of critical roles in us, but we, uh, the Dungeon Master Michael made up a, a artificed item called a, it's a cinnamon roll, called a critical roll that when you eat it, your next die roll is a natural 20. And that was actually the presentation that was absolutely hilarious because, yeah. you know... As, oh, I, as soon as you started, like, I got it. Critical roles and everyone's like, oh, really, another pun. Oh. And then they said, and you'll... The only be, people that the got it were me, nat- Ma- were, were me and uh, Melanie. No Melanie. one got it at first. We're like, really? Really? No and, one But us? then you explained it to her and everyone's like, oh, it's another stupid pun. And then I, then he listed off, and your next roll will be a, a nat 20. And everyone's like, oh, really? Oh, this is really fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think there's four of them. It was hilarious. I believe two went to Cotter, one went to Jesse, and I don't know where the other one went to. It might have been to uh, Melanie. Yeah. I want to. It reminds me. I need to talk to him because I want one of those for Crawl now. But uh, we so we get that. There's a really cool little device that comes up where uh, inst- no, yeah, Instagram graham cracker yes. pictures. I mean, there were bad puns, but they were great. It's gnomes. Um, the best part about that was that Jesse got the pun mm-hmm. just before I landed it. And yeah. it's, it's never, you never know which is she the ta- best. Is she, it you best can almost when, see the blood trickling out of her nose yeah, when she gets it. Is, is it best when you don't get it till the very end and then everyone's like, ah, uh, or is it best when just before the end, when you see the onrushing train and there's nothing you can do to stop yeah. it? So um, we leave Porta Magnum and all the puns behind, but bring the critical roles. Yep. <laughs> And we get to where we're basically at now. Um, we get back to the Tabaxi Treehouse via Danya and Jade Claw. Galchabar is there with five flaming rings that split that literally split the party. Yes, but don't. But don't. Because magic. Um, where did that come from? Um, so, like I said, when we got to this point in time, I was realizing that we were going to end up about five levels short of you know we're going to be about fifteen. And like I said, we could have just got to fifteen and stopped, and then just you know had the big 
ending battle at with you guys being 15, but it's like, really wanted to go to 20. And I was kind of fishing around for ideas on what to do. And I was realizing that, you know, because it's a low magic environment, you really didn't have the kind of equipment you really needed to, 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 to go and fend off the final boss. Mm-hmm. So I needed to do things. And I mean, we could have done all sorts of different other things along the way. Uh, but we didn't have the phylacteries to go after anymore. And so, um, and then also you guys are down to like the last week before the comet reaches its full height and whatever bad thing is going to happen is going to happen. So I had like seven days to do it. And I'm like, so I hit on, it's like, well, what if we split the whole group up? And then I was thinking about doing like individual recordings with people, but then that would have been just chaotic because it's like, it's, you know, it would have been like, you know, Bryce would have recorded and then not again for like three, four months or something right. like that. Right. But and that's the problem yeah. with, you know, you have two college students here. We have yeah. a person who graduated high school and starting her college career. You have a teacher now. We have an at home dad. We have a uh, person who just regularly employed and then yourself yeah. and all the things you do. This whole world has been created because of and us. all the sides because yeah. of all well, us obviously, but all I'm saying us, yeah. the circumstances we're all under. That's how mm-hmm. you know, that's how Noan and Moon over Mountain it came came out. That's how you know everything from uh, Truck with Hay to Jade Claw, Burnt Spoon mm, to yeah. Creval. I mean, all of it's because of this thing. So it's it's just because. And I'm I'm saying this to the listeners who are dungeon masters or players. Just because you can't play that week, stick with it. Because if there's an alternative, it just can increase your own knowledge, mm-hmm. your fun, and your world. Yeah, these whole side quests just ended up starting yeah. out just because we needed another uh, another thing to do that week, and yeah. and there we are. So we so we've got the one item of the staff and Nilon. We're after the weapon of <laughs> Dur. Yeah. Doi. Doi. Sorry, Doi. I knew it was Doi or Dur. Doi. Um, a lot more fun things are coming down the pike. So please stay tuned. Yep. It's been five years and a lot of exhaustion for you. A lot of exhaustion for all of us. Uh, but a lot, a lot of fun. It's. I mean, we're now we started in the two thousand. 17 it's now 2022 23 excuse me we're going we're now in our sixth year excuse me um we're heading toward next year well, september sixth. will be six years yeah um do you think and i'm not saying this as a jerk or do you think we'll be done by september i'm hoping to yeah uh, if we can if we can stay on the recording schedule we are uh, we're going to probably wrap it up at six so okay or thereabouts so yeah, it might be a little over under. i guess my last question is and this really is my last question and i'm hoping i'm not ruining things for the players by asking this so we know. So now we all know, except for the players who probably won't listen to this interview, <laughs> that we're going to end at level twenty. All right. Now, granted, at this point in this story, you have two multi-class characters. So you don't have to worry about with two of them, which would be myself and Jesse. Mm-hmm. Are you prepared to deal with characters that are going to have access to twentieth level abilities? I'm looking forward to it. Are you? Because yeah. I, I don't know what the paladin at twentieth level will be like. I know it's going to be something stupendously weird. Because I actually mm-hmm. had that thought when I realized what black crispin could do with his oath i haven't looked at his because i don't want to ruin it for me um i don't know if matt's gonna change his mind and be a straight monk ever still mm-hmm. um i know that in a couple of levels i'll have every access to every spell of a cleric um i've already seen where my character's going but but there isn't something like you won't have to worry about automatically you won't have to worry about bringing nawada to the battlefield yes. because i'm not gonna be a 20th cleric I don't know what Jade's and all that, but are you? So you're saying you're prepared for it and you're hoping for it? I don't know if I'm prepared for it. I think it's looking forward to the journey. It's going to be fun when we get there. The journey will be great. And I'm telling you right now, between you and me and the guys who aren't going to listen to this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I bet you Dollar's not there in the final fight. Not one person activates their twentieth ability. <laughs> it could be or not. We'll see. And, um, and I, I do have to say that final fight is going to be very surprising because I've got some fun stuff planned. I, you know what? It has to be because otherwise we're going to be back here talking about how we walked all over it, and it shouldn't yeah. be a walk. It should be one of those things like, oh, oh it's, it's not going to be. Yeah, not going to be. Like, like I keep saying, it's like it's going to be whoever survives um, this last, you know, to the end. And uh, the way the way what I've got planned. It's entirely possible that everyone yeah. won't survive. So this has been an interview with Michael, the Dungeon Master. I know there's a lot of Mike the DMs out there, yes. but this is our Mike the DM. There are many like him, but this one is ours. Yes. Um, I am Drew, speaking on behalf of the players of Relic of the Past podcast. I would like to thank our listeners for the past five years, going into six, who have listened, who have put us out there, and who have supported us um, through all the shoddy, shady, well, not shady, but shoddy listening or initial sound, who have not faded and they're listening does we approved those sounds and effects and followed our story i thank you michael for finding time to do this and your family for putting up with all of us when we come over and you guys for finding time to do this and yeah making it happen um i look forward to the final fight i look forward to seeing what happens after that in life so on behalf of the relic seekers and as we call ourselves at the table and to all our listeners thank you very much uh this has been our third installment probably the final for the interview but stay tuned for what happens in the next episode Thank you.